Hey, thank you so much for tuning into or turning on the Uncommon People podcast. This is the show all about exploring what makes ordinary human beings so extraordinary. It's about your story and my story, the story of everyday people. Um, I think we're all special and we all have something to share. And that's what this, this whole show is for. Today, I'm talking to Colby Gray. Had a great time recording this conversation. So much fun getting to chat with Colby for a bit. I hope you tune in for the whole thing and you get a lot of value out of it. Like I said, this show is for everybody. So if you think you'll be a good fit for it, if you're ready or willing to have this kind of a conversation and dig in, please do get in touch with me. Just go to joeltimothy.co and all of my contact info is up there for you. In the meanwhile, I hope you enjoy episode number one of the Uncommon People podcast. I made this. No, you didn't. Yeah. Like, honestly, where'd you get it from? I, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> is, um, it, is it wood from Cass's or something? It is. So I wanted oh, to make... Oh, it smells so good. I wanted to make a... For the second pour, it went a little better. I wanted to make a desk. And um, now it's going to be scotch-infused, too. So... It can only make it better. Yeah, yeah, of course. You is know. this your brother's or are you getting into this? That is my brother's. Okay. Dude, okay. smell the the tobacco there. I will do I'm that. I'm so excited. I've never like... tried a pipe. Oh my God, that smells <laughs> good. That yeah. smells so good. I know, right? Um, Gosh. I'm just going to use my sleeve here. To... Anytime I go in the like lounge, and it's crazy because there's so many people smoking cigars. Mm-hmm. But if you walk in and there's one person with a pipe... It's like you. It's like there's somebody with a pipe in here. Yeah, like it stands out so much. Yeah, but how? Uh, We're gonna wanna you wanna keep it about six to eight inches away from your face, maybe. That's probably maybe pretty good. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But um, this feels weird yeah. already. I know, right? I guess so. I'm uh, getting to your dude, first podcast, dude, bro. First podcast. I'm honored to accident. Yeah. To accident. No. To accidentally be your first guest. Oh, yeah, that's really good. It's really like smooth. It. It's yeah. easy to go down, yeah. Yeah, it's really mm. smooth, man. So, Space the way... You can go ahead to give that bottle a look. I don't know anything about it. The way I... Um, discover liquors, or beer, really, or at least the way I did... When I lived in Fayetteville, I would just go into that liquor world. Yeah. And um, they have everything in there. And there's a, there was an old guy who worked in there. Um, He was super knowledgeable. Seemed like he just knew all the things they had, which is impressive. Yeah. Like totally white-headed guy. I think so. I I bet I know what you're talking about. Yeah, probably. But I would just ask him for recommendations. So... I went to look for specifically scotch the other day and didn't, they were kind of busy. So all their staff was kind of like working with people and there wasn't that much scotch options. Honestly, there's tons of bourbon, Yeah, but, um, scotch isn't as plentiful. And I kind of just picked one that was like, this is in my price range. 
And yeah. it's a cool looking bottle. I think it looks it really cool. It is a great looking bottle. Um, you know, like it says Speyside and like there's like, I think four different districts in Scotland uh, that'll be like denoted on the bottle typically. And apparently because like the climate and elevation differ, like people that drink scotch can literally say like, okay, this is Islay, this is Speyside. Like they can like taste it in there. Like it's so specific, but the natural color, that's always a good thing to see written on the bottle. It means like, I figured that probably was. Didn't put I mean, any, so like, they're not adding anything right. in right to change that color. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes it can get, they say you can't taste it, but I think you can, man, when it's just got unnatural stuff in it, you know, yeah. just should be whiskey. Yeah. You know? They probably cut it down at some point because it's exactly forty proof, uh-huh. or forty percent, I should yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they'll, they'll they cut it down, but they didn't have to add stuff to it, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, just a little water. Dude, I'm enjoying it. I uh, I really I bought several different bottles of whiskey to try, and there was like a gin, and I bought a, a rum. When I first got into drinking liquor, like last year, yeah. gosh, was it only last year? It might have been two years ago. Honestly, I can't remember at this point. Um, and I kind of, when I came back to the States, mm-hmm. and I came back, and when I got my Trump change, I celebrated by <laughs> buying a bottle of my favorite whiskey, which was Clyde Mays Alabama-style whiskey at the time. Yeah. And I got it, and I remember pouring myself a glass one day, and I took a sip, and I was like, I don't know if I like whiskey anymore. Yeah? Yeah. I, I, I felt like maybe my palate had just changed, or I wasn't used to it anymore. Right. But I didn't really enjoy it, and so I hadn't bought any for a while. But my roommate, John, actually has bought a couple of different bottles of stuff since. One of them was a scotch, um, the Belvaney. I don't know if that's how you say it. I, I believe it's Balvenie. Balvenie, yeah. yeah. And it was really good. It's really good. Um, <clears throat> so I thought, okay, maybe maybe it's just my palate is changing and my taste is changing. Yeah. And I just didn't care for that one as much, or I hadn't had liquor in a little while, so it was strong. But for this, I wanted to have drinks for people. Yeah. Now, it doesn't need to be alcoholic people immediately. The first episode of this is the first Five minutes of the first episode is us clinking whiskey glasses <laughs> and, and drinking scotch. So this isn't, for anybody listening, this is not a, a, a alcoholics podcast. <laughs> it just happens to be that I, I love oh, sweet. providing food and drink to people. And I, I ordered, we're, we're not going to eat right here. So, you know. Yeah. What did you order? Uh, I ordered some beer from a guy online today. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's kind of... A guy online, like was like a marketplace deal. Yeah, kind of. I got <laughs> man, I got invited to this freaking uh, Facebook group, and it was like it's set up like a uh, trade site. You know, a lot of people do beer trading uh-huh. like, across the country just okay. to get stuff you can't get. I was not aware. But okay, beer trading is like a thing. Yeah. So if there's like something in California and New York that you can't get, maybe we can get something from like Texas or maybe something local that they can't get and, and work out like trade deals. Um, so once I got on the site, I realized it was BS and it's not a trade deal. It's a bunch of people selling stuff and like just marketing up like a muling price. 
and so it's really interesting but the but there's like rules like you have to advertise the beer as like empty collectible bottles and things like that i guess that's what i was thinking about because it's illegal yeah, yeah you can't you can't really ship anything into arkansas right right yeah yeah we're not doing anything illegal and broadcasting it on the internet <laughs> uh, i'll just message this guy later yeah <laughs> actually i'm gonna make sure i got my ringer yeah i'm gonna turn, make sure i have that off as well I'm really popular, so people regularly send me texts and, and phone calls and email and just, they just want to talk to me all the time. Yeah. No. I've actually had this church group thing that's just been blowing up tonight. Cause we have, is uh, it the Tuesday? No. Or is I it started a... going to a Bible study okay. at the Grove on Friday mornings. Oh, Okay. At six thirty in the morning on Fridays. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm giving you alcohol and having a conversation with you, like, yeah, the night before you have to get up early to go study the Bible. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Oh, great, absolutely. So I'm pretty <laughs> excited about that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we actually had like a big homework assignment. Okay. So uh, we. Were, it sounded like after work everyone was doing because you know like everyone in the group is very last minute. So um, okay, everyone in the group was texting each other at like. Five o'clock when they got off work because everyone's doing the last minute. But right, right. Yeah, it's like a full outline of Second Timothy. We have to like outline it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, That's awesome though. It's great. It's great. And uh, mine was, uh, you know, of course I tried to be humorous about it. So uh, that I titled mine uh, Tim and Paul's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Hope, I good. hope I get an A plus and it goes on Charlie's refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. Is it led by Charlie? It's led by Charlie. Okay. Yeah. okay. And it's like, it's just like seven guys or something like that. Like uh, Greg, Bobby. That sounds like the beginning of the Brady Bunch. Cindy, Cindy Marsha, Jan. Yeah. Bobby will be getting scheduled in for this. Nice. Because I, I went up to him on Sunday and said, hey, in the next couple of weeks, do you have an evening free? And he yeah. said, yes, remind me next week. That's when things are freeing up. So remind me. Yeah. So I'm going to schedule him in as soon as I can as well, nice. which will be really interesting. Nice. You might have to like edit out some words. No, this is this is a no holds barred conversation so podcast. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. So you, you don't have to worry about anything. All right. I won't <laughs> talk about like illegal beer, beer trading or anything. No, no. You wouldn't do that. You would buy collectible bottles. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, like Rob goes to it. Okay. Um, and then. Bill Winters and Jonathan Littleton, and then it's led by Charlie. So, okay, small group. It's really good. It's really are, good. are you using any kind of study material or outline, or how is it? How is it formatted? Um, so basically, like, uh, we started with Second Timothy. This group's been together, but I just got like invited to it. Like on this, they they decided to get it going again. Um, so it was Second Timothy, and then, man, there's been some times where we really just dig in where we start with like what does this word mean and by the end of it we have like a whole whiteboard full of stuff mm -hmm. you know um and some of it's just uh we'll go through a, a sentence and like hey what do you think of this what do you think of this what's what's paul trying to say you know what's he trying to get at here you know because that, that chapter is really interesting because it's like you know it's, it's like paul's kind of on his deathbed he's in prison most of the people that he thought were faithful to him have deserted him and he, you know, there's obviously people spreading false gospels 
And he's like, man, if I die, who's going to continue spreading my, you know, the word I'm trying to pass along. And so, mm. you know, I think Timothy's kind of a last ditch hope to keep Christianity mm. alive. You know, one of them. And he's like, dude, like, I, I know you're scared. You have every reason to be scared. You know, bad things happen to me and God always pulled me out of them. And he's like, basically like, bro, I need you. I need you to go get my stuff and come to me in prison because we got like unfinished business. So, I mean, it, it really is like there are times where it's interesting because you can tell he's trying to give Timothy confidence and the way he's trying to give it makes me think that Timothy's not very confident. Uh-huh. You know, so he's like, no, don't be scared. Yeah. Have this strength. Don't let people look down on you because you're young. Right. Yeah. But uh, along the way, watch out for these things. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know, man. It's, it's really, it's really been an interesting book just because it feels like, you know, it's like Paul's, Paul's kind of last stand there, mm. you know, he's in prison. He got beat up by Alexander, the coppersmith. And, you know, apparently he's a bad guy because he's telling Timothy like, hey, man, watch out for that guy. Right. You know, so They'll smack you with an ingot of copper or something. Right. You know? like, for all the bad stuff Paul went through for him to like have that one phrase where it's like, hey, this guy's terrible. Watch out for him. God will have my revenge. Like, <laughs> man, he must have done something bad. But <laughs> Maybe uh, so. Huh. <clears throat> so what's our uh, any, any structure for this? Dude, thing the, like I, I'm going to figure that out. It's going to be interesting. The first episode's kind of figuring that out. Um. I had hoped to kind of walk through people's stories, though. Like, like just life story. Like, yeah, who are you? Like, Dude, what, my, why are you where you are my now? Life, my life story is terrible, honestly. Really? I'm going to get too in-depth on it. My childhood sucked, dude. It was a shit, fucking shit show. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, let's start off. Like, who are you, Colby? <laughs> um, are you just, like, recording and we're just going to yeah. roll into it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So if this, if this would be the beginning of the podcast... This is like where you are supposed to give a shout out to all your sponsors. Shout out to the the Glenroths. <laughs> so that, that would be great. Do I get to interview you a little bit too? I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Right, I cool. mean, things will come out of my story, of course. So if you if you had a sponsor for your podcast, like oh, the first man. sponsor, who would the first sponsor for your podcast be? Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't listened to him. I, I'm going to listen to it. Oh, that's amazing. I know. I know. It's amazing. Um, um, who would my first sponsor be? Shoot. It would need to be something that pertained, I guess, to, I don't know, man. I would say just whoever made it to where you didn't have to work and you could just do podcasts. Shoot. Quip toothbrushes, man. I use Quip toothbrushes. Go. Yeah. Or like some Manscaped. Something I, like that. No, I don't use that. <laughs> um, Yamaha, sponsor me. Like, I don't know. The The content of the podcast is meant to center around people and, and really stuff inside. Yeah. And so all the <clears throat> external things that even that are things that I truly enjoy and get value from in my life, I don't know what their place would be in sponsoring um, something like this, a podcast like this. I'm sure it'll become more clear down the road, like what things would be appropriate to to sponsor this kind of a thing, right. or, or what what vision I have for this fits with A, B, or C. You know, um, but I don't know. 
I've heard I'm, the if you could get Lewis and Clark outfitters, I've heard the owner of that's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, yeah, you can. Go I, I should have him on here sometime. You should. Yeah, you should. He probably wouldn't do it. You know, I lived with him, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, um, I like the waveforms, and we both laugh in unison. Unison there. That's pretty great. That's yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, who am I? I? I don't know. That's a that's a long story. Um, I think so. Originally from central Missouri. Okay. Um, Columbia, okay. Missouri, actually. I think I knew um, that. So that is like the most central central Missouri could be. Um, there's like a highway that goes to Kansas City and St. Louis. And at one point in Columbia, okay. it's 127 miles each. Like it's it's literally smack dab in the middle. Okay. Um, grew up there. Um, parents divorced early. Kind of a broken home at an early age in a way. So uh, let's see. I want to say third grade, something like that. Um, have a sister that's like 10 years older than me. She's awesome. She, uh, she just, uh, became ordained. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So she's been studying up and my brother-in-law is actually a minister. Okay. So yeah, they have a, uh, they have their own kind of church in a really small town. I mean, like, gosh, oh, like a hundred people small. Oh man. Yeah. It's time. Kudos. Kudos yeah. to them for being able to do that. Oh, they're, yeah, it's great. Too. It's a great little community. But, uh, yeah, so, so lived in Columbia, um, which is, you know, 100,000 people, um, kind of what you would picture a, a small-sized city right in between Kansas City and St. Louis being. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a big college town, you know, like uh, the University of Missouri obviously is there. But there's like okay. three or four. Okay, yeah. yeah, there's like three or four other colleges there too. So it, it's really interesting. It's, it's got a lot of dynamics to it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when my parents got divorced, um, moved to this really, really small town. It's kind of, a, it's kind of a shock. Um, I, I go from, you know, a hundred thousand people, um, very diverse, you know, elementary school was very diverse. Um, and then I kind of go to a, uh, a town with like 800 people that is the opposite mm. of very diverse. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just like. I don't know, man. It was kind of it was kind of weird as a kid because it was obvious that I was just a, a little bit different than everyone I went to school with, you uh-huh. know. Uh, so just just kind of stood out a little bit. Um, and which, what age would this be? You said third um, grade. I, I would say at this time it probably yeah fourth grade is when I would have started there. I think it was uh, summer in between third and fourth that we moved. So it would have been going into fourth grade. So I'd have been nine, ten, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, so yeah, man, and and also it was just like. Uh, my parents getting divorced uh, hit me really hard at that age. And I was just really angry. I mm-hmm. really, I was just a pissed off 10 year old. If you can imagine that uh, every, can. every stepmom's <laughs> nightmare, you know, uh, that was me. Um, and then, and then, you know, I go to a school where I'm just completely, di- just really stand out and just completely different than everyone I go to school with, you know, it was very rural. Everyone's wearing cowboy boots and stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like day one, probably walked in with like some air Jordans and, a, you know, <laughs> Jordan Jersey on. And they're like, where the hell did this kid come from? And so, yeah. um, you know, instead of conforming to what I was around, what was the norm there, I was like, man, this is. This is who I'm in. This is who I am. So you know, if you don't like it, this is what I'm going to be. And so, uh-huh. um, you know, obviously a few years in, you know, you make friends and and uh, you know, you hit those adolescent years. Everyone changes. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. that was that was a really that was a really big, really difficult shift for a freaking third, fourth grader to have to go through. Man, it was it was, it was a big deal. Like my parents put me in uh, in counseling at that age. That, that's how hard of a time I was having. Man, mm-hmm. I, was, I was getting in trouble acting out at school, and it was just really because I just had anger and didn't know what else to do with it, you know? Um, 
obviously, you know, made good friends and grunge music came out and then it was okay to be angry. So that might've been my <laughs> lifesaver, man. <laughs> when right. We started listening to, uh, you know, Alice in Chains. Yeah. And now it's Soundgarden cool to be angry right, and man. like upset and yeah. depressed. Just, just long hair, uh, flannel shirts. You can draw on your shoes, you know, draw on your <laughs> trapper. You just let it all out. Man. So this would have been the nineties. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I was born in 81. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so this was the early nineties. Yeah. So early when I was like, 90s. Sixth grade, um, you know, it would have been 93. And, uh, you know, the grunge thing was already is full bore at that point. And, uh, you know, then like me and all my friends kind of made a, made a pact that we were going to like form a band, even though none of us knew how to play any instruments. <laughs> so, um, you know, luckily we all had family members that did my dad, my dad played guitar, but he wasn't what I would consider a guitar player. He's more of like a singer songwriter type. Um, so he, he, he knew like, you know, seven, eight chords, um, didn't play with a pick either, just strummed with his thumb. So, you know, once I got those chords, I just asked for a subscription to Guitar World for Christmas and just kind of went from there. Back when you got subscription to magazines. Oh, yeah, oh, definitely. So cool. Lowrider magazine and Guitar World. <laughs> that's all that mattered at that age. Um, so, yeah, then then started, like, playing music a little bit. And that, that was definitely an outlet. Uh-huh. You know, it's, st- it's still to this day an outlet. You know, even though instead of playing, playing grunge music, most of the time I'm playing Christian music. It's yeah. still just it's as much, it's, it's just as therapeutic, you know, just uh-huh. maybe in a better way, right? Like I'm not um, meeting my anger with anger. I'm meeting my anger with kind of peace and bliss. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, very, very different, you know, but it still has the, still has a very similar effect. You know, it's just yeah. therapeutic. Um, it's kind of funny because a, a couple of guys we were sitting around having this exact conversation last night <clears throat> of how like um, you can have just a hard day. And uh, whether whether you play guitar or whether you like to fish or whether you like to hike or draw, like everyone, if you don't have that outlet, like find out what it is. Like look in you and find out, you know, you may not even realize it's something that's right in front of you. Like this makes me feel good, you know. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, I know so many people's like, man, I wish I had a hobby. It's like you, you probably, it's probably there and you're just not chasing it. Yeah. There, there's got to be something. Yeah, and if yeah. you are, if you're miserable and you kind of just, maybe you're in my position, you just, you're not particularly fond of your job, but you don't have anything that you're going after and you yeah. just spend all day, five days a week at work and then you go home and you just sit on the couch or play video games, you're going to continue being miserable. Yeah, that's very like, true, man. There's not much to look forward to at that point i mean if you turn it you have the option of turning it around and looking with a different perspective at your work and what you do but yeah if you don't have anything that you're moving toward and i think you're just you're running away from everything yeah man you're just kind of out in the void and from my experience doing this it's man it just makes everything worse for sure man for sure. You can, uh, you know, I think, I think there are plenty of people that use the word trapped, you know, <laughs> they get in a cycle mm-hmm. and, it, and it, it, they come become so reliant on it that at one point, if, you know, it feels like there's nothing you can do to escape that cycle. Um, you know, I think when, when we moved, when we moved to Arkansas, my family's lived in Arkansas for seven years. Um, <clears throat> we actually moved from my wife's job. Um, and, we were, we were in a really weird place at that point in our lives, man, because, uh, had a pretty, pretty little kid mm-hmm. at that time. Our kid was pretty young. Um, and 
my wife left a, a really uh, good job for uh, kind of a private sector uh what she thought was a friend it ended up you know he makes uh friends in business and sometimes it doesn't go mm-hmm. well that's kind yeah. of what happened so uh, my wife left a, a pretty sturdy um job to to help out what she kind of perceived as a friend and everything that went wrong uh, could have went wrong went wrong uh-huh. uh so she, she found herself jobless um and then like <clears throat> right about the same time um i had went i was working for a car dealership um, back in like their auto body area. It's kind of what I did until I lived here mm-hmm. was worked with cars. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, I started, uh, I was going to college during the day after high school. And then I kind of, when I went from a junior college to actually going to the university of Missouri, I was going to night, I switched to go to night school so I could work more, uh, you know, ch- chasing that dollar at yeah. 19, 20 years old. Uh-huh. Um, so I, was, I switched from a junior college to the university and went to night school. And then, um, uh, yes, yeah, I started, I got a full-time job. A friend of mine was a mechanic and he said, dude, I think you would love this because I, I like cars. Um, so I started doing that. I actually did that for 12 years um, until I moved to Arkansas. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know you, you've mentioned it before. I, I've had car conversations with you before, yeah, but I didn't know that had. you had that much history in it. Yeah. I was actually kind of like the assistant manager at like a, a body shop area. Um, for uh, what was called Head Motor Company, they're uh, Head Indian now. Uh, they they kind of their car side got bought out, and uh, they're just really savvy businessmen, and uh, they like motorcycles, so they started okay. an Indian dealership, and there's not one around there. So, uh, oh, nice. yeah, sh- shout out to Stephen Stewart Head. I'm sure they're listening at home right now. <laughs> but, I want um, to pretend like right <laughs> from the get go that we already have like a million listeners. Absolutely, and absolutely. I I think it'll you know manifesting. That's yeah. what people call it, right? Yeah. Hi, mom, if you're listening. Yeah, exactly. my mom's definitely gonna be listening. <laughs> <laughs> So you were talking to her just then. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, nice. you could send this to your mom too, I guess. Yeah, yeah I could. She'd yeah. probably cry because she's that, oh my gosh. Yeah, she yeah. would overreact. Yeah. Um, as will mine. It would be welcomed. Um, but yeah, man. So uh, I, I left, you know, the, the guys that I had worked for basically since I was a kid, man, grew up around them. Um, you know, my, my dad actually died when I was 25. Um, and man, I was still, I was still such a child at 25 looking back now, you know, so immature, <laughs> not that that has changed drastically, uh, but, a, but a little bit, it's probably, probably a pretty common theme too, yeah. I think among us mid 20 year olds, you know? Yeah. So, so those guys were really good, man. They, it was a family owned business and they just kind of pulled me in and, and uh, did, did a lot to slap me around and, and kind of help me become a man, you know? Um, but I left for a better paying job with a huge nationally recognized car dealership and all this jazz. Um, but, it, but it was interesting. They paid on a, just a weird scale. It was like piecework. I think it's technically what it'd be considered a little different than commission. What is piecework? Uh, whereas commission's a percentage, it would, it would be per, per piece or per car. Um, so it'd be like, if you can run two cars through a day, it would be like 70 bucks a car or something, something like that, oh, you know, okay, along okay. those lines. Yeah. Um, so it's per piece, but so th- they were paying like that. Um, but it was so big and so busy, it would never be fully staffed cause they didn't even have enough room, uh, that we just worked like crazy people, man. I mean, sometimes in the summer we would come in at like five to beat the heat and it was like a brick building with no AC. So it was rough, man. And we come in at like 5 a.m. and then work till like, you know, sometime around noon and then go home for like four hours 
and then come back in the afternoon and work work through the evening. Mm. Yeah, so so we wouldn't die of heat exhaustion. Yeah. Um, but they actually got in trouble by the Department of Labor um, because <laughs> there were if someone works over full time. Uh, the way that they were paying, there still should have been some sort of extra incentive. Uh-huh. And some of us were working like, you know, we're working like 70 hours a week and, and not getting anything. And uh, I think some, some people that were just dying for, you know, I was, I was a kid still, you know, I was like, okay, let's, let's do this. Yeah. Uh, but man, some of those guys, 40, 50 years old, it's taking a toll, you know? Yeah. And uh, so somebody actually went to the department of labor and they came in it was really, it was really spiteful how this all went down. That Like the owner that you would see, like, maybe once a year at the Christmas party walks in and says, all right, we have to change everyone to hourly. We're going to have an even playing field. Everyone's starting at $11 an hour. Um, there were guys, a couple of guys that had been there over 20 years. Yeah. And it was like two guys just walked out right then. They were like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually the guys I worked for before they caught wind of it about three weeks later, uh, I get a call over the intercom at this car dealership that I'm at and I answer the phone. It's one of the owners. And he's like, Hey, I hear you're ready to come home. And I was like, wow. Just hearing that phrase. Uh I was like, I was like, well, what are you thinking? He's like, whatever we need to just uh, come over here and talk to me at lunch. And I walked in after lunch. I was like, Hey guys, uh, deuces. I'm out. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of great. It was kind of great. How that That's kind out. of bound to happen. If you walk into a room with all yeah. your employees and say, all right, we're changing everything. You're all starting at $11 an yeah. hour. Oh my gosh. It was, it was so dramatic because my wife was out of work uh-huh. and I yeah. was making okay money. I mean, we were getting by on, on one income. I mean, it was rough, but we were getting by. Yeah. And then just to come in and like shed everyone's money. I mean, it was, it was dramatic. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, my wife found a job that was pretty much the, the same position as her old position but it was in Fayetteville Arkansas so uh so at this point you were still in was this Columbia Columbia yeah Columbia so Missouri still yeah so I would have been 31 39 now so okay um but yeah she got a job offer and I was like man like I had been to Arkansas she really hadn't um I go on this like kind of annual float trip with just a slew of guys every year that's where we come because you can you know it's just beautiful down here um nothing nothing like Arkansas has what you find in Missouri with the hills and just the outdoor features and the mm-hmm. waterfalls everywhere. Um, so we like uh, brought camping gear and came down for like a three day weekend and uh, camped over at like Indian Creek. And then we just explored, man. We went to like the farmer's market in Fayetteville that Saturday morning. Uh-huh. Uh, then we went to Crystal Bridges that Saturday afternoon. I mean, we took in everything we could take in in three days. Yeah. And we got home. And I mean, before we ever like, packed the tent. I was like, yeah, I could, I could totally live here. You know, it's just, and that was, so this explore, explorative adventure trip was not related to Sarah getting the job. It was, was it was us when she got offered the job. We, we had never, none of us had ever been to Fayetteville. So we're like, we're going to pack a tent and come down for a weekend and see what we think. Okay. And it was like instantly like, it was weird because I mean, you know, growing up in a place for 30 plus years, I instantly was like, man, I think I'd rather live there. <laughs> you know, I don't know how often that, you know, it's, it's really hard to leave the place you bring all your friends and family. I mean, you know, um, you've been there. It wasn't hard for you. For me, it was the opposite. You're like it super like, nomadic. It doesn't I, even make sense. It wasn't, it wasn't that the, the like traveling was came naturally to me. Cause I'd never done that. I'd never done any traveling. Yeah. Um, it was just I needed to leave. <laughs> I just wanted. I knew I needed to leave, um, and so I did. And 
it just so happened that when I finally made my way here, when I got to Arkansas, within a week, having so many people take me in and like make me family. Yeah. That to me, like the contrast of, there wasn't much for me to look back on and be like, oh, I missed that. I had a few good friends who I'm still good friends with. I mentioned my buddy Joey. He lives now here in Springdale as well. Um, like there were those people, but nothing like the community that I have here. And that community was built in a matter of a few months. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I'll tell everybody, like that's a testament, I think, to, I think it, in part it's a testament to this area and the kind of culture that exists here. Um, and also in part something to do with the weird sort of charm that my life has. <laughs> I don't quite understand. We could get more into that at a later date, but, <laughs> um, things tend to work out for me, we'll say. Yeah. And, and they definitely did when I got here. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was kind of amazing how it all worked out that you just like strolled in the town. Next thing you know, people are just taking you into their house and yeah. now like, when you tried to escape Arkansas for a little bit, I mean, like, man, I mean, we honestly, we, it was definitely a missing piece for everyone. Like, really? Yeah. It was definitely like, man, can't believe Joel's not here, you know? <laughs> um, so we all knew you come crawling back though. Yeah. That's, that's literally important. like yeah. tattered clothes, right. barefoot, crawling, <laughs> buzzards circling yeah. around you. That flew all the way from Australia. Yeah, those Australian buzzards are yeah, the worst. Well, they sing great, but man, they're gnarly. You do not want to get a bite from one of those buzzards. No, no I hear you throw one, it comes back. <laughs> uh, sorry. That's just what I, that's just everything in Australia. Yeah, yeah. You throw it, it just comes right back. You know the rock. You know, isn't the isn't the guy that plays Thor? This is all, totally off track. Isn't the guy that plays Thor? Isn't he Australian? Yeah, yeah. So, so is the, that why the freaking hammer always comes back? So the, that was a good loop that you just made there. That was good. I like that. You're welcome. <laughs> so the first people I stayed with who was a friend of my older brothers who he met 10 years ago when he was in Australia, his cousin was good buddies with Chris Hemsworth's brother. <laughs> and so Steve, who I was staying with at the time, told me that. I was like, dude, wait, so you know Chris? He's like, yeah, I've met him a couple of times. This is a nice family. Um, yeah, he seems like a good guy. And I was like, why don't you, can you introduce me to the Hemsworths up in Byron Bay? Like, which is the rich, beautiful Los Angeles of Australia, like really beach town. Yeah. Byron Bay has, if any, for all the Australians of our many, our large audience, for all the Australians that are listening, they're going to correct me. (laughs) But Byron Bay has, um, a lot. There's a lot of rich people who live there. So people like the Hemsworths and I think like Hugh Jackman and his family probably live up there and um, beautiful surfing and beaches and just an expensive area. Uh, I did not make my way up there. I did not go any further north than Sydney, but, but yes, the Hemsworths do live there. They would have probably like pulled over and questioned you if you're just like strolling around the backpack in a camera. Oh yeah. Outside of Liam Hemsworth's yard estate climbing climbing his fence. <laughs> you know, I don't know though. Maybe it still would have worked out. Somehow it does, right? I just stroll up and they're like throwing the he's running to catch his frisbee, right? That he threw and it goes over the fence. 
and it lands next to me. He's like, oh, hey, mate, can you, you throw that back? And so I, I throw it back. He's like, hey, what's your name, by the way? And I tell him my name, and we just start talking. We're yeah. best buds. He's like, oh, my mom's name's Joel. And then it just goes from there. It's wild. That man. is a female name, too, you know. I, I do now. Yeah. yeah. There, there's what I think that's how it's pronounced still. There's, there's a photographer who I'm aware of, who, a female, whose name is Joel. Really? Yeah. Why is it the first Noel, but your name's not Joel? You ever thought about that? Well, in Hebrew, it's Yoel. Okay. Yeah. And in, in uh, Mexican. Uh, in <laughs> How many languages do you speak? You already speak Australian. We've proven and, that. And I've like missed, <laughs> misnamed the, the language of Spain. <laughs> uh, in Spanish, it's Joel. Yeah. This this podcast is already getting canceled somewhere. I know. Yeah. It probably is. It's, it's going to be flagged on iTunes. Definitely is. Yeah. Uh, rumor has it uh, that when you were in Australia, you had to sleep in a shed with a, with a crazy man. Is this a true story? Now this isn't about this podcast. Is not about me. <laughs> I, just, I, think, I like, think that just happened. <laughs> it did. But what is that actually a rumor that goes? Yeah, around? Like, yeah. That you you were stuck sleeping in a shed in the woods with some crazy man. Um, so how how true is that? I I was sleeping in a shack in the woods, and, and there was a guy in there who ended up kicking me out. Really? And telling me, yeah, I just need to get rid of you before I do something I regret. And that did happen. And I was really glad when he left me because when you make a statement like that to somebody while you're both out in the woods by yourselves, the smaller of the people is afraid. Right. Yes. Um, that did happen, yeah. Um. How many how many days were you in this shack in the woods? I think three. Three days. I think three days and two nights. So when you left, did you have to like walk? No, he actually he drove me into the next town. Okay. And yeah. just dropped you. Yeah, he drove me to Dover. And not Arkansas. Australia. Is there a Dover here as well? There is. Oh. Okay. But it wasn't that one, I guess. No, it wasn't. That'd be a long no. drive. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. No, he drove me into Dover and I got uh, uh how did I get what happened next? I think I took the bus. I took the bus then into Hobart and um, got a hostel. And then that weekend was staying with people I met in a church. Yeah. Sitting on their balcony while they brought me coffee and and cookies and like looking out over the ocean. And uh, it was... Sounds better. It was a much better... uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was a a strong contrast to (laughs) what I had been living in two days prior. Did, Did the guy at least bring you cookies? Uh, we we ate things. Okay. I don't remember there being cookies though. Just like kangaroo or something. No, I don't. They do eat kangaroo over there. But, yeah, but we I've, I've heard. That. I don't I've think I've. Ha- I don't think I had any while I was there. Yeah, unfortunately, it feels like something you should do. But there were a lot of kangaroos dying at the time, so you know, of like maybe of what of the fires. Oh yeah, yeah. man, that was awful. Yeah, it's poor people. Yeah, yeah, and roos. Yeah. Not many, fortunately, not many people died. Again, I, my audience can correct me. Like I, I don't, I don't know the numbers, but I believe most of the fires were. Um, uh, which side would it have been? Uh, west of the mountain ranges. So most of Australia's population is on the east coast. We have Sydney and Melbourne and Byron Bay and, and Cairns up north and and all that. Um, and then, so you have the ocean and you have the coast and those cities, and then you have a mountain range, I believe, 
that separates kind of those cities and that more populated area from the western parts of Australia or the center of the desert. And I believe most of the fires happened west of that mountain range because of the mountains being there. So when I was in Sydney and particularly when I first got to Melbourne, there there was, I mean, the whole city was smoked over. The Some of the people I stayed with on a clear day, you can look out their backyard and look over Melbourne like off in the distance and you could hardly even see like wow. a mile. It was I mean, if you have you spent any time like out west here in the states, in the a little bit, yeah. Have you seen like when fires are happening there? We you, were actually in Colorado a couple of years, and and they had a lot of fires, and mm-hmm. and you could get you know high enough that you could kind of see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets hazy, and the and, the air the air there's so dry. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's colder, you know, at those high elevations, that yeah. just there's no moisture in the air at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I remember that my. my I think the first time I was in Colorado was my dad and I went went hiking in the Rocky Mountains there. And I remember it getting close. It had to have been close to 100 degrees. It was definitely in the 90s. Yeah. And being surprised by it. Because it was so dry, it did not feel like where I was from, which up near Lake Michigan. It's probably awful if it's 100 It's very humid and it's... I mean, it still gets hot. It still gets in the 90s. That's a normal summer day. But it's just very humid and steamy. You walk outside and, like, yeah. your glasses fog up, you know? Yeah, that's gross. Yeah, it's yeah. very different in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of nice when you go out there and it's like, a, you know, you're in Denver. It's it's 90. But then you get up, you know, what, like 10,000 feet, 11,000 feet, and it's like 65. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible, actually, to, to be able to just have those options yeah. you know like man it's kind of hot today i'm gonna go i mean we I'm have those options here. here in arkansas it's just in the morning and then in the evening it's beautiful yeah in the morning yeah. it's 30 and then in the evening it's 65 yeah you know? so if you just time travel yeah if you get hot yeah, just, yeah. that works out yes um we'll, we'll get there we'll, we'll get, get there. there elon musk will throw out some time travel machines it, it'll be elon for future. sure him and joe rogan both yeah. They'll figure something out. Yeah, they're like freaking neighbors now. So. I was about to ask, have they talked? And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course they've talked. That was that was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think his second show was kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Elon's second time on? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think, he, okay. I think that was kind of a big deal. Was that the one that he's, he smoked on? He did. He got high on there. Yeah. So everyone's like, whoa, man. We're, okay, yeah, we're that, talking about That's like, what I heard about. I mean, people are people are totally back and forth on that guy. Um, but, man, it's undeniable that he's a genius, you know. It's, it's, I mean, people were back and forth on Einstein, right? Because he, yeah. he was not necessarily a, a great dude. He wasn't a nice guy. He was a womanizer. Um, he was really just weird <laughs> you know like most of the time he didn't tie his shoes because like that was a waste of time where he could be like learning something or discovering mm. something um most of his clothes were just identical because that time you know the time to pick out clothes like took time out of his day kind of like your clothes yeah because yeah. um, i'm a genius yeah exactly yeah. well I, we know man. yeah i mean you have a podcast with a million freaking listeners i know is that amazing it's bananas <laughs> but like man Anonymous. you're talking about a guy that developed paypal when he was a kid and then gets like what 170 million dollars to sell PayPal. Starts three companies with that. Elon Musk did that. Yeah, it wasn't called PayPal. They changed the name of it when they bought it. It was called like uh, Check Plus or something like that. 
Um, but then it sounds was, like a McDonald's um, yeah, program. Exactly. Mick yeah. McCheck Plus. Yeah. Yeah. McCheck McPlus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the he, he basically came up with the uh, the coding to make that all work and make it secure. And it was bought out wow. um, for like $170 million And, you know, he was like college age. Um, so he... He he invested all the 170 million in three companies, and uh, basically said like two weeks later he was borrowing borrowing money to eat on because he literally invested 100 percent of it. Huh. Yeah, he just passed Bill Gates to become the second richest man in the world behind wow. Jeff Bezos. So I mean, yeah, you're talking about a guy that had you know 170 million dollars a decade ago, and now he's the second richest man on the planet, and everyone wow. wants his cars, <laughs> you know. I don't want his cars, I don't but I, I respect his cars. I respect what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're pretty awesome, but they they don't make enough noise for me. No, like, they yeah. they essentially make no noise. Right. The right. tires make noise on the road, but the car doesn't yeah. make noise. I think it's kind of interesting though, like the the outlook on you know electric vehicles being so clean. Right. It's like oh, we're no longer polluting the environment. But, like, there's a lot to that equation that people don't account for, you know. I think Elon's, like, you know, his his factory, like, gigafactories are now completely solar. Um, so there's that. But if you buy, like, a Chevy Volt, it's still made in a GM factory. It's puffing smoke all, out all day, mm-hmm. you know, melting down still and stuff. Um, but then you also have to take into account um, that their batteries aren't, like that efficient so you usually have two or three of these massive like bigger than a marina boat batteries massive batteries and uh lithium mining lithium mining is terrible for the environment um not only is it like coal where you're destroying you know destroying the land to get down to the lithium but then when that lithium uh goes into the air through the mining process it's it's a terrible pollutant Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, then when you plug it in, when you pull up the, the whole foods, which I love whole foods, um, you know, shout out to whole foods. If you're listening, uh, Joe's looking for, uh, sponsorships if you're interested. <laughs> I, uh, I bought a sweet potato pie from whole foods dude, recently. I, it was I delicious. Buy, I buy whole foods it all was like the time. $13. Exactly. <laughs> so if they want to sponsor me and just give me free pies, yeah, I'd be down. But when you pull up and you, you need to plug your Tesla in, in the front of whole foods, where's that electricity coming from? It's coming from the coal plant that's right down the road, you know. So I mean, <laughs> the electricity came from somewhere. Those those poles aren't solar powered. They they ran electricity under the ground, you know. So like, yeah. it's coming from a power plant burning coal two blocks away. Yeah, so, it, it's definitely not as cut and dry an issue as I think people often think it is when they think of electric vehicles. Yeah, I think the the goal or the the long term idea for them is well, we're moving. We already have all of these extra things to consider with combustion vehicles. Now we're just eliminating the gasoline and right. the CO two getting put out in there or whatever else you're pumping through your exhaust. So we're eliminating that. Yeah, and we're making it so your car can drive you around. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I'm definitely all for the idea. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I just think it gets like downplayed so much yeah no it definitely what we're talking about here yes there's still a lot that goes into it yeah or i mean even worse than that is the people who are like yeah i mean you save so much money on gas i'm like that's really not the point you spend (laughs) a lot of money on electricity still and you're spending at least 30k on a car like you still that that's not why elon made these cars so you can save money on gas (laughs) (laughs) if you want to uh if you want to save money on gas buy a motorcycle that's yes 
this is a full endorsement from both of us to please buy a motorcycle. Five five dollars for a whole week and a half of driving. Yeah, it's great. Episode one sponsored by motorcycles <laughs> in Just general. In general, all of them. <laughs> I have a a friend who he's a freelance photographer and videographer, and he has, I believe, it's a Honda CB three fifty that he bought from somebody in Illinois or Indiana and brought it down here and fixed it up. And man, I'm so jealous. Yeah. That's the kind of bike I want. That that'd be, that'd be a I good want. one. That'd be a good one for you. Yes, it would. Yeah. yeah. I had a, uh, you know, just uh newly into it, probably one of one my entire life. My dad always rode motorcycles, always, always, you know, was on the back of one as a kid, but mm-hmm. finally pulled the trigger. Um, this, this summer, me and some, uh, like childhood best buddies, you know, um, we all made a pact. We were all going to buy motorcycles at the beginning of the summer. Um, and, and all of us, all of us did. Um, I had to go a time without cause my very first motorcycle, I, uh, got kind of hit by a SUV. Uh, actually they, they pulled across my lane and then they realized they pulled out in front of me. So instead of hitting the gas, they just hit the brake and then just like, yeah, ran into them going about 45 so yeah it was a little mm-hmm. hard once i got the second one to get back on it that first ride was uh yeah pretty intimidating uh-huh but but glad i did it and you know they always say hey if you if you have a motorcycle you know you're probably gonna get in an accident at some point so man i just went ahead and uh thought i'd get it out of the way really early so i don't have to worry about that ever yeah, yeah. i mean that's math right exactly that's just, how yeah, it works. just carry the two and keep rolling yeah you know, that's what they say <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. your dad rode a motorcycle all the time. Do you have a lot of memories of that, like of, of riding on that with him as a kid? Yeah. Um, man, I remember one winter, which, you know, like you had winters growing up, you know, like I did have it seems winters. like where we live at now, there's, there's just like, sometimes you get a glimpse of it. There's just not much of a winter most of the time. And maybe that's everywhere now. I don't know. The, the climate's definitely not the same that it used to be. I mean, there's yeah. no question about that. Um, but I remember one winter and we, we didn't, we didn't have a lot, you know, my dad had this like old Honda Civic dude. This thing was like well over 200,000 miles, probably like a man. I would almost say late seventies. Like this man. thing was old, like the old hatchback. Oh, um, so cool. yeah, it was a super cool car, but I mean, <laughs> not when you were a kid and had to no, ride around no, in it. Be now cool now. Cool yeah, car. yeah. Back yeah. then, it was like, man, this thing really this sucks. This is a turd on wheels. Yeah. Yeah. So it broke down and, and it was something major and it was pretty obvious we weren't going to be able to uh, pay for it for a, for a while. Like uh-huh. it was just going to have to set. So my my dad was riding his motorcycle in, the, I mean, I'm talking like January. Like it is dead of winter. Mm-hmm. Um, snow on the ground. Like it's the craziest thing. Um, and, uh, he would take me and my sister to school. Uh, she started finding rides because she's like 10 years older than me. She started finding rides. Most of her uh-huh. friends were like 16. But there were times when he would ride her to or ride me to school. I, I believe I was in kindergarten, if I remember right. Um, he would ride me to school on this motorcycle in like January to kindergarten and drop uh-huh. me off and then go home and get my sister and ride her to junior high 
and then go to work. And all the other kids in the school, all the kindergartners are like looking out the window, like, look how cool he is. They were probably like, this dude's dad is eight. Oh, bro, does he not know it's like <laughs> negative 15 right now? No, nah, they're not thinking. <laughs> kindergartners are not thinking practically. They just it's thought just he was like, a total Whoa. badass. Man. Yeah, exactly. The like junior this, high was probably even more your sister's friends. They're like, this guy, this guy feels no cold. Yeah. Yeah. They probably thought he got hit, hit by an asteroid or something and couldn't feel cold anymore. Well, he was an asteroid. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> But yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I wish I could make that up, but yeah, man. My dad was riding me to school on a motorcycle in like uh, the dead of winter in kindergarten. So yeah, I kind of wow. those are, never forget that for sure. That's pretty vivid. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, I had four wheelers and stuff as a kid. But yeah. So your parents divorced when you were in third grade. Um, did you live with one or the other? Or what was that situation like? Yeah, no, I, I lived with my dad. I pretty much, uh, pretty much didn't have a, you know, didn't have a choice at that age. Yeah. So living with my dad, it probably was a, uh, I don't know, maybe a more stable environment at that time. I don't know. Um, but you know, we ended up like, we lived in this you know, tiny town. We ended up moving out in the country a couple years in, uh, bought some land. It was really terrible land. Um, uh, but my, my dad was like a, head maintenance guy for a university that actually like was in magazines and stuff because of like their landscaping. Mm. Um, so he kind of, he definitely had like a green thumb and he was like really handy with carpentry, like all of that. Yeah. Um, so he bought this, he bought this place out in the country, man, on like 20 acres and, uh, it had actually been seized in some sort of drug raid. Huh? (laughs) So he got a good deal. Yeah. I think it was super cheap, man. Um, yeah, these, these guys were like growing pot out there. Um, and, and got, uh, got arrested and then it got seized. And, uh, a guy that my dad knew, a, a minister that had a lot of land in that area actually bought it at an auction. And then my dad talked him out of it. Um, but it was interesting because they, uh, they just financed like that. My dad just paid the owner cause he knew him. Okay. Um, but dude, it was like, there were, when we started cleaning the weeds out with like bush hogs, um, we like, it's like a Jeff Foxworthy joke, but we literally mowed the yard and found cars. There were like <laughs> just old cars out there. Uh, it's uh, a dream of mine. <laughs> right. They had a, they had a, a bunch of, uh, of dogs, a bunch of pit bulls out there and they had just made these like homemade cages that were actually like in concrete in the ground. And we had to like tear all that stuff out. Um, man, I'll, I'll tell you like five years later, you, you wouldn't even know it. Like my dad had done like so much landscaping, wow. like planted pear trees down all the way down the driveway, like the works, man. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, I grew up there and, uh, we were like, uh, became like super self-sufficient. Um, my dad kind of, you know, he was raised on a farm and kind of knew his way around mm-hmm. and all that. So, um, we actually gardened th- three acres. We had like a three acre garden. Wow. Um, and we had enough acreage to have, uh, eight cows that could just pretty much graze. I mean, we still fed them, um, but, but they could, they could get by with just grazing on, on what they had, uh, pretty much an acre of cow is just kind of rule of thumb. Um, so we actually had enough like fruits and vegetables that we could pretty much live off of it. Um, we, we froze some things, we canned some things. We had kind of a closet that was just full of like canned vegetables that we mm. grew, um, and then we would kind of pick out the best cow, um, and, and that would be ours. Um, and, and we kind of figured out with that, with that eight cow number, uh, it's kind of a magic number to where you kind of, I mean, you have to buy They're always breaking fences down and stuff like that. But you, w- with that number, you could pretty much at the end of the year, have a free cow out of the deal. 
um, with all your expenses. So we would butcher, we would butcher a cow and that was ours. Um, and then, uh, we had That's another the one you would sacrifice to the Lord. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it was kind of nice. Cause you could pick out like, <laughs> Hey man, this is the best looking cow. Like this, this dude's yeah. a stud. He's going to be the one, the one we eat. Of course, the first year as a little kid, it was traumatizing. Oh yeah. Uh, but after a while, I'm like, man, that, that's going to be a good tasting <laughs> hamburger right there. Yeah. Um, and then there was a pig farmer, a few, uh, uh like, uh, maybe a mile down, which is a neighbor out where we were. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But Same. he would trade us a whole hog for half a beef. So we would end up uh, with like a whole cow and a whole hog and three acres of vegetables. And like, man, we didn't buy, we didn't buy much. I mean, we would buy like butter yeah. and like, you know, we'd make spaghetti. We'd just go buy like some noodles, uh, make the tomato paste out of the, the uh, jarred tomatoes that mm-hmm. we had. Um, but yeah, man, it, it ended up being like just crazy how self-sufficient we were. Um, wow. Yeah. It was, it was a different, it was a different style of life. Uh, kind of, it, it kind of be good to see people have to live like that for a few years. And, you know, um, if you, you know, if you want fried potatoes, you have to go out and dig them up with a shovel, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> or snapping green beans so your hands are just blistered. But, um, and then our neighbor was a, a pretty wealthy guy. He owned a bunch of lumber yards, but he also owned several thousand head of cattle. Um, and I would work for him in the summers, um, when I was like 12, uh, just working on these massive ranches. Um, so I'd go from, you know, digging up our food to go helping this guy, you wow. know, round up cows and stuff. So, man, I, I did. I kind of kind of grew up out in the out in the sticks for a while, and then uh, yeah, when I became to the legal age that I could kind of decided where I wanted to live. I, man, I was kind of a city guy at heart, uh-huh. and, which is weird because I'm so back and forth. Like, um, you know, it's like I, I live in town now, and I'd be like, man, I can't wait for the weekends. I can get the hell out of this town and go out in the, the woods. The contrast, you know? man. Like, right? if, if every day is spent <laughs> surrounded by people, and what. I'm not necessarily speaking for myself because I always want to be surrounded by people. Yeah. But if every day is spent in town, getting out, even if it's just driving to Tahlequah and being on on the road like yeah. in the middle of nowhere, is so freeing. For it's sure. so therapeutic. I think, uh, you know, God's beauty, the beauty of the earth that you don't get to see when you're trapped in a town, man, especially, I mean, Arkansas is a natural state for a reason, man. But when you can go out and see these like beautiful uh, waterfalls that took a million years to form, you know, it's like, I don't know, man, I could just, it's like, there's not much that I could just stare at for Uh like hours and be totally cool with that. Like there's, this is a great room, Joel, but I don't want to stare at anything in here for hours. <laughs> no, neither do I. Other, I mean, this wood right here, this, right? this slab is like one of the most beautiful things. In yeah, here, sure. yeah. Shout out to Cass Harris. If he's listening. Yeah, shout out to Cass. <laughs> he's agreed to be on the show as well. So nice, nice. Yeah, he and Brandy both, hopefully. Well, when you do, uh, when you get big enough to where you have multiple guests, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll set in with that. Yeah. I'll just like, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> oh, man. But, um, but yeah, you know, just getting out in nature, man. I, I think it's awesome to just see kind of those those natural formations and things like that. And it's just mm-hmm. super serene. But man, I know people that are just like they're city people, you know, and they want no part of that. They want no part of being in the woods, you know. But it's really hard for me to believe that there are those people and that they even given the opportunity and exposed to nature and put in front of this scene that was sculpted by nature over a million years, that they would be able to do that and still just be like, nah, I don't, I'm not into this. Yeah. Like, 
without it being some expression of a deeper problem going on inside. It might just be a, a very huge lack of exposure, you know? It could be. It's it's difficult. It can be uncomfortable. It can require work to get there. There's bugs and like there are bugs. you're not on concrete. You can't necessarily always see where you walk in. You might trip on stuff. Like it's more inconvenient than the fabricated concrete jungles we've created for ourselves. Yeah. But man, the reward is is just incredible. I mean, even I went to Kansas City uh, in uh, first week of November this year. And went camping just one night with some people I met. Where'd you camp in Kansas City? Well, we went in Kansas. I went to Kansas. Like Liberty Memorial Park? <laughs> like, I think you're officially like homeless. The Whale Yard, West Side, Kansas City. Uh, no, I so I visited friends who live in, shoot, uh, something, Overland Park. They yeah. live in Overland Park. Yeah, area. super nice park. But, but we went camping out in Kansas somewhere. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know where it was. Okay. And man, it was beautiful. We went on a short hike, walk, um, like after we kind of got our tent, kind of, um, we, we picked our spot basically and walked out and found the water, which was, I don't know if it was a lake or if it was a river running through there and just like kind of watched the sun go down and everything turned blue and like. It was just beautiful. And then we sat up around a campfire and talked about things and just hung out and yeah. looked at the stars. Man, that's the best, isn't it? It's amazing. Even for one night, like that was, especially now working full time and having so little opportunity to really get out and go do these things, having a long weekend like that to get away in a totally new place for me I'd never been and with new friends who were really great to be able to do that was it fed my soul yeah it really did yeah it's, it's interesting because we are so you know just kind of tied into our jobs yeah. and busy everyone's i feel like everyone's busy everyone's i feel like busy. everyone i ask yeah. like how are you doing man i'm busy like everybody's yeah, uh-huh. busy. but yeah man and take the you just got to take those small pieces when you can get them man because they are therapeutic they do kind of hit the reboot button for you but i yeah. think i might have been in kansas city that exact same weekend I were went, you the person I was talking to about this? I don't know. I feel like we've talked about this before, and we were both there at the same time. Yeah, I think because I would right. have been there the the sixth and seventh. Yep. Of November. Yeah, I would have been there that weekend. So yeah. it's kind of interesting. I'd have, uh, probably my best friend. He uh, uh, moved to Overland Park actually, and then he just relocated to the Westport area, which is kind of like the old old downtown mm-hmm. area um, kansas side yeah no missouri side it, it's still missouri side. yeah it's okay. it's like downtown okay. downtown downtown um but yeah i mean it, it's pretty neat because i mean they're obviously are kind of newer swanky spots but then there's some kind of, like those those little hole in the wall places that have just been there forever uh there's actually this uh irish bar that i've always wanted to go to i haven't really been in that area a lot um, but it's, it's called Kelly's Kelly's. If you're listening, shout out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, they're uh, listening. Yeah, yeah. They're listening. Everybody's listening. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, ended up, even though it was like, you know, super restricted with, with the COVID stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, still went down there and, and, and enjoyed, uh, Westport went to a really nice, uh, cigar shop that had been there, I think 87 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was b- beautiful shop and they just kind of had like, uh, patio furniture 
And it, man, it felt like you were like at a shop off of like Seinfeld or something. You know, this is <laughs> old shop right in the middle of downtown. Everything is happening around you. There's actually these guys. It was, it was an interesting place because it was like a you could pay for a membership to like hang out in this lounge thing. Okay. Um, but if you didn't hang out in the lounge, it was like BYOB. So uh, wow. there's this table of guys, and I and I feel like these guys are like there every single Saturday night, you know? Yeah, um, probably dude, are. They had a freaking cooler on wheels that was just full. Uh, it was probably like six guys, man. Yeah. And uh, they had a Bluetooth speaker. They were jamming a bunch of whole like kind of like Motown uh-huh. soul music, uh, and just like shooting the breeze and smoking cigars oh, and man. just drinking beers out in the open like nobody gave a damn, and. Uh, you know, my friend was like, he was like, man, you want to go inside? And I'm like, dude, I was like, Hey, it's beautiful. And I was like, you know, just, I, I want to listen to the soul music. You know, <laughs> I was like, I want to walk down here and get a beer yeah. and just sit here. Uh, and man, it was so, it was like the most relaxing thing with like the, the leaves were just kind of turning. There was all these old trees like lining the road and, uh-huh. and it was just so cool, man. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, we went the weather was perfect that weekend. It was too. So it was amazing, man. All we did the whole weekend, I was there for three days and all we did was just walk around downtown. That's yeah. all we did, you wow. know, just, just checked it out. Just kind of tried to see it all, but on foot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man. So we went to Kelly's, which was cooler than I even thought it would be. Uh, it's actually, they believe it's the oldest building in Kansas city. So, you know, Kansas City kind of started as like a, a cow town. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why the American Royale is like the, the was the big draw. I, don't, I doubt it still is, you know, since the Chiefs are like kicking ass and everything. But um, so that building was actually a store for the Oregon and Santa Fe Trail. It was okay. like for people to pick up supplies kind of in, in the middle of the U.S. Um, so it was like cowboy traffic, you know, going people going to the Oregon Trail and stuff. Um, so, and at that point there was nothing else around that building, you know, and, and now you see it and it's just, uh, even the, the downtown buildings around it are 90 years old, you uh-huh. know, but at the time it was built, there was nothing, you know, and it, and it was a couple different things. Um, after the end of prohibition, they opened up a, a bar there, uh, that actually had like, uh, I guess some sort of like underground fight club after hours in there. <laughs> um, and the, the guy that, uh, the guy that owned the building, he died and they put his ashes in a whiskey bottle. I think it was a 10 high bottle, like not even a good whiskey bottle. Right? <laughs> um, and it's still, it's still setting. It still sets behind the bar. That's so like, cool. It's just like, man, if those walls could freaking talk, you know, is is a really neat spot, really cool spot. Uh, but yeah, want to go there, want to go there forever and kind of sat there, wow. uh, drink a Guinness, you know, I feel yeah. like. I feel like if you were in Ireland, they'd probably be like, "Why the hell are you ordering that?" But I feel like if you're in America and go to an Irish bar, you have to. Yeah, do I don't know, else. man. I wonder if it's. Uh, I wonder what if they drink American imported beers and what they would be. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. That's I mean, I enjoy question. Guinness. I, I, I love a good. I think Guinness, it's a good man. solid beer. Yeah, super. Like most time, you look at a dark beer like that, and it's like really rich, really heavy. But Guinness isn't like that at all. You know, it's really smooth, kind of light. Um, supposedly one of the healthiest beers you can drink uh, it's I, full of like antioxidants and whatnot. Oh, really? Yeah, it actually oh, wow. is. Yeah. It's supposedly like one of the healthier beers that you can drink. Huh. Um, obviously I should drink more of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is 2020. I mean, there's, there's things going around, you know, I know. got to keep that health yeah, up, yeah. man. Keep, hey, drink, have a Guinness a day. <laughs> hey, if you're listening, keep your health up. Yeah. Sponsored by Guinness. <laughs> 
It's amazing that this is the first podcast and you've already got so many sponsors. I know, is it? It is. I, I don't even know how they're getting along so well, honestly. I feel like we'd have all sorts of like representatives from these companies. Yeah, we've, we've had enough laughter that you should be sponsored by laughter. It's got to ring just, to it. Let's just make the leave. Let's just go to God. Sponsor. I mean, we're here, you know? Yeah. That's, Why that's, are we here? Man, that's a hard sponsorship to get. Yeah. It's hard I sponsor. mean, he he's behind me, though. You know, he's, he, what is that song? He's something to do with... Uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. No. <laughs> <laughs> not that one? No, not that one. I know he, he most is, of the words. He is that. for us, not against us, something like that. Those are lyrics. I don't know. We don't need to go into that. Can we'll, we call people on here? No. Can we like call in a phone a friend and be like, I mean, hey, think, what's this song? I think technically we could, but okay. But we have Google as well. I think we, it'd be easier to see that. Yeah. I'm going to try to not use my phone unless I'm either taking notes or reading notes that are asking questions and such. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of asking questions, what was your religious background as a child? What, how did you end up where you are now? Man, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I think you, you kind of hit it on the head when you're like, uh, you know, the, just the community here is different, but, uh, you know, my, my family, like, um, when my parents were still married, you know, my sister was a kid and stuff, they were, they were super active in the church that they were at. Um, and then I think when we went to move, they moved to Columbia and I think everything kind of went crazy at that point. Um, but yeah, once, once my, you know, once I got kind of settled in with my dad and, and, and things started to feel kind of like a normal life, um, you know, he, he got really involved in the church in this small town. Um, and I'll tell you, man, it was, uh, it was a Southern Baptist church. It was, uh, about as, about as strict about things as it could, as you could imagine mm-hmm. it being. Um, and it was just, just the way it was, uh, things were conveyed. Um, it made you feel a lot of shame. Like I, 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 and, and I really liked the minister and I think he was a very kind man. Um, but it was just the way that the word of God was provided to you. It really made you feel like everything you were doing was bad, which we know that we're sinners. And, um, even that guy on the stage, you know, telling you that you're a sinner is a sinner because none of us are perfect. There was only one, one person on the earth perfect. Uh, he hasn't been around for a while, you know. Um, but the, but there was a lot like, man, one thing that I will never forget is uh, they wanted the teenage group to do it like a vow of celibacy. Um, and they actually made you sign a document. Wow. And on that Sunday, um, they didn't have the the teenage group off to the side, they were in with their parents and they called all the kids that signed the document up on the stage, you know? And, uh, I didn't cause, cause here's the thing is I felt, I really felt that I was going to be dishonest if I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I was a dude, I was a freaking kid. I didn't know any better. I, I might've been, uh, probably, probably around 14, something like that. Um, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing or, you know, if I was going to take a vow at 14 that I was still going to uphold when I was 20, you know, was kind of where, where I was at. Like, I don't want to sign this if, if I don't know a hundred percent that I won't be lying to all of these people that I'm standing in front of. Um, and I think some of the people that did sign it, uh, felt, felt the exact same way, but it had a lot of pressure. Um, but, but honestly, man, when, when you take a group that is, you know, a group that's together all the time and you put these one people on a stage 
and people clap for them. And there's other half of the group uh, still sitting with their parents. Like, man, that feeling at that moment, like, I feel like if I think about it, I still, I can still feel that somewhere in there. You know, it's like Mm. just, just the amount of, of shame. You know, and uh, I'm sure not only me, but my parents probably felt it, you know, Um, but but, you know, uh, just saying that I really just hated church. I really did, man, Um, because it was always like that. It was always like that. You know, it was always it was always so it always felt like that. Um, And, uh, you know, I I think I had, you know, I I went no matter what, no matter if I wanted to go or not, that wasn't mm-hmm. an option. Yeah. Uh, which, which that part I'm kind of glad about, um, you know, cause I, I, I was exposed, you know, and, and went to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, when I became an adult, um, man, it was pretty much, uh, you know, most of the time it was pretty much like Christmas and Easter, honestly. Yeah. Um, and then kind of right before we moved, uh, my son played upward, um, upward basketball and uh, me and his coach just had a lot in common, and he seemed like a really cool guy. Um, and got to talking to him a little bit, um, and he was actually a minister, um, you know. And he was he was pretty young to be a minister. I, don't, I he would have probably been early thirties, thirty two, thirty three at the time. Um, and he invited us to his church, and it was like it was like pretty hip, man. You know, they were, played some really cool music. They actually played some uh, secular music, if you will. Oh wow! Yeah. You know, from time to time they th- throw in a man. The first time we went, they were playing a freaking Paramore song, and I'm like, wait, really? Where? But it was like two acoustic guitars and like some bongos or something. Wow! <laughs> and I was like, where so are we cool. at? Um, and I actually, it was, it was probably the first time that I just felt comfortable being me uh-huh. in a church. And like, you know, I walked in with like khakis, dress shoes, collared shirt. And I was literally the only, everyone was wearing like jeans, you know, mm-hmm. t- t-shirt. Yeah. Um, you know, if you had a button up shirt on, it probably wasn't buttoned up. You probably just had some chucks on, you know, or you know, some sandals. And I'm like, what, what is, this? what is this? This is a church, right? It was really interesting to me because I was, um, gosh, man, if I would have wore jeans to, you know, if I would have walked in my church with jeans when I was a kid, my dad would have probably just told me to wait in the car, like seriously, you know, that's what we're talking about, you know? And then gosh, man, um, uh, moved to Arkansas. Uh, and like I said, my, my, uh, brother-in-law's a minister and my son goes to a Nazarene church camp with him every year since he was a little dude still goes every year. And, uh, he came home from camp and he's like, I want us to, I want us to start going to church. Um, and dude, I guess he would have probably been 10. Um, so he comes home and he's like, I want our family to start going to church. I'm like, damn, who put the 10 year old in charge? You know? uh, so <laughs> we get to that point. What do you do? Like, you got to right, do what like, the 10 year old Hell, says. hell no, we or not. Why would we do that? <laughs> um, but yeah, man. So we, uh, we did a, a, some church shopping, uh-huh. uh, you know, looked online, found some stuff online, uh, ended up going to the Grove, uh, right next to mermaids in Fayetteville. Um, that was the first place we went and went in there and, uh, honestly, man, the, the band, uh, you know, I'd always, I'd always played music since the time I was like 12. I was, I, I was in, in bands all the way through my twenties up until the time I moved. So like uh-huh. probably, probably from 18 to 31, I was in a band, you know, it's never longer than like two or three months not in a band. Um, and yeah, man, we walked in and, you know, the church started and it was like this kick ass band with electric guitars and lights. I'm like, what is happening here, man? Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, we left just in awe. like it's, there are churches like this and, and, you know, you know, the, the band was great, but the, the word and the way it was given to you, 
um, w- was equally as good um, in the basically the same message that I was always told, but kind of given to you in the opposite manner of like uh, you don't have to you don't have to feel worthy of this whether you're worthy or not, like you're worthy in God's eyes, um, even if you're not in your own. And I was always kind of told the opposite of that. Like you may think you're good enough, but you're, you're not, not, you know? So I was like, man, like none, like I walked out of there almost in shock. Like none of this, none of this makes sense to me right now. I was almost confused, you know? Um, and then we went to a couple other churches and we went to a couple churches that were more like what I was used to. And I was like, Mm man, I just want to go, I just want to go back to church, you know? So, uh, man started going there and it's been history ever since, you know, uh, playing, playing in the band a little bit. And my wife was actually an employee of the church for a couple of years and never, um, you know, a decade ago, I would have never said like, I'm going to play music out of church. I'm going to play, I'm going to play Christian music every, every, close to every week. Um, and then my wife is going to be an employee of a church. Like, the way that that all came about, it was, it was, it was kind of amazing because, um, it was just like, it, it all felt like a gift once again, that we didn't feel like we deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, like why is all this cool stuff happening? Um, cause I, I don't really feel worthy of all this cool stuff. Um, Isn't but then like, yeah, it, it is amazing, man. Um, and, and it's kind of just been like that ever since it's been blessing after blessing that I don't feel like I deserve, but man, the community, the friends at the church, like, um, you know, I, I love like the friends that I've had since I was a child that I'm still friends with, but it's, it's just different, man. It's just different when you have that commonality. Um, you know, you know, the, the, everyone's heart, you know, everyone, you know, if they typically, if they say this is what they mean or this is how they feel, that's probably, you're probably getting the truth. And I, and I think it is the, the culture of like how, you know, how that the church is established and, you know, what, what is important, you know, some of the things that aren't important that you think are and, uh, the opposite. And so I, I think that a, you have, if you're not the type of person that agrees with that, then you're probably not going to want to be there. If that makes sense. So I really feel like, um, it's a lot of people that, you know, if they, they're not going to say something to you uh, in front of you that they wouldn't say not in front of you. And, mm-hmm. and I think it just, it's like a brotherhood, man. It really is. Um, and we'll, we'll include you that in that conversation as well, but yeah. never forget the first night you just strolled in the door, man. Yeah. It's like, Hey, who's that guy? Did you accompany us too? Did you go? I didn't, to that I night? didn't go to dinner. I can't remember what we had going on, but I remember you guys going uh, to Mexican. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like, Hey, this is Joel. He's a nomad. <laughs> He's a nomad from Chicago. This is wandering the globe aimlessly. And I'm in the back talking to Rodney, wondering if the guy up front is the leader of Hillsong United because Rodney <laughs> leans over and says, you know, he wrote this song and he's playing a um, Hillsong. You're doing something with Hillsong. I'm like, hilarious. Is that, who's that in the distance yeah, over there? He, <laughs> he actually used to be. He used to be. <laughs> well, for a moment, as soon as he said that, I was shocked. I was like, could is." The guy is, I think, it's Houston. Joel Houston is his name, the lead, the lead guy for Hillsong. It's like, is, he's got the hair. I mean, is that, <laughs> is that Joel? Oh, man. Another great Joel. Yeah. I, yeah. I think they named the city after him as well. Yeah. Joel, the city of Joel? Yeah. 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 That's what I was getting at. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I don't need to get into that. I was gonna <laughs> wait. No, you have to for all the listeners at home. Now they're curious. No, I was gonna say I, I've listened to his dad preach because I went to Hillsong while I was over there. Yeah, um, 
wasn't a big fan. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's fine. But the, the, to kind of get at, piggyback off of what you were saying, though, about the community and this, like, brotherhood, that was what was so real for me. For me, at, at this point, and last half of 2019, as dramatically as you can imagine, my faith crumbling into dust hmm. and restarting everything. Yeah. Um, and then running away to the other side of the planet and kind of in the middle of reforming who, who, what is it I believe about God, whatever God is. If there's some 12 plus dimensional being who made everything, what do I think about him? <laughs> yeah. Um, for me to start forming that and, and have my background in the Christian faith, it, there was a really weird pattern that followed me through Australia of people who weren't really believers, who I wouldn't have identified as believers, kind of pushing me away in some level and that escalating. And then people who were very genuine believers drawing me in. That happened like three times, really four times. And that's how I always had a home. That's how I always had some place to stay, really. And the last of those places, the last three weeks that I spent, I was in Sydney and was taken in by people from one of their, the Hillsong campuses, the North Shore campus, which was uh, in Waterloo. Was it Waterloo? Chatswood. It was in Chatswood. And um, I remember sitting in church, listening to like Brian Houston preach or something. And, and it's huge. Like Hillsong is big. There's thou- so many oh, thousands can't of people. Imagine. Like I went to one of their, it's called a team night, which their whole creative team involved with Hillsong does a worship service and then does a, a short like talk and then breaks off into master classes. And it's like just the creative team, right? And it's like 3,000 people. Huge, huge. Super cool. I mean, incredible musicians, incredible artists in that church. Oh, yeah, Hillsong very much focuses on that kind of thing. But I remember going to a service and hearing this stuff and hearing him teach and thinking of all these things in my head, all these cynical things of like, I could tear you apart right now with what you're saying. I could use the Bible to tear apart what you're saying. And here's all the reasons. Here's all the logical, intelligent, theological reasons that I could point out about why you're wrong or why you need to adjust your perspective or why the way you're communicating that isn't quite right. All these selfish things in my head that were about who's right and who's wrong, essentially. And feeling like, and I won't claim to be somebody who has ever heard an audible voice of God. I, I'm not, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like I was sitting there and God whispered to me, like, you know, you're wrong about stuff too. Hmm. Like, and that's something. Like, who are you staying with right now? What it, what it, what is it about these people that's so bad? Yeah. And just feeling like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I know the church is made up of a bunch of stupid people, and I'm one of them. But man, the people in this church love really well. Yeah, like oh, dude, all those college students at Hillsong, and oh man, just they—they they just met me. 
Right. And it was a similar kind of thing. I mean, I walked into one of their services and one of the, I picked, I knew of Hillsong and I was in a position at the time when I was in Sydney back and I knew when I was going to be flying home and I was like, I was staying with somebody who had, was not a good situation. And I was like, I got to go to a church. You had on a couple Sunday. of those, huh? Yeah, I had a couple. <laughs> and I, I was like, I got to go to church. Oh, Hillsong is here in Sydney. I'll look up a Hillsong campus. And so I picked one and I went early because I always do that. I was kind of nervous actually to go in. And so I like lingered at this Starbucks that was nearby. But I went in and it was still early and kind of wandered slowly into the like main auditorium area. Nobody really talked to me much. People said hi and all this. And I sat down by myself and uh, the worship band was playing. They were practicing and they finished up. And this guy like looked at me over on the stage. I was in the back and he got down and he came over and he shook my hands like, hey, I'm Phil. And he like introduced me. He's a he, Phil is Brazilian. He's amazing. Most most students at Hillsong are foreign. They're they're almost all exchange students, oh, like eighty five percent. Really, most of them are not Australian. Interesting. But he like was like, hey, uh, our creative team's like going into the green room to like pray. You want to come along? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm I'm not doing anything. <laughs> And so he took me back there and he's like, hey, this is Joel. And everybody like says hello. And I'm there while they pray and they're getting ready to do their service. And dude, that that was the story again and again and again. Yeah. With all the people I interacted with at Hillsong. All these people, all these students and and these these people who for one reason or another were in this place and, and were identifying with this church the teaching of which I sat in the audience and just pulled apart. All of these people just took me in like I was family. And they were were just amazing. I I love those people. Like, there's still people that I text. There's still people who I I want to visit and who uh, a number of them are Americans too. If you you guys, I know some of you are going to listen. So... Come, Seth and Libby, like, come by and you can finally sleep on my couch and I can make you breakfast in the morning. It'll be great. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, like, those people really, they reminded me or opened my eyes, really, to the reality of the love that exists in the christian faith specifically yeah that's and and i'm not someone who can say yeah i've experienced all the other faiths that there are and i've stayed with muslims and buddhists and islam like all that you know i can't say that i've experienced all that but it was overwhelmingly real um yeah that that was my experience there that's been my experience here in arkansas um and there, there were other things that helped me keep like keep believing in in, uh, in other areas in the Bible and, and different stuff, but just the reality of this community of faith and how strong and powerful it is, in spite of how flawed and weak it can be too. Which uh, there's not a human body of any kind that isn't. Right. So that's there's like not. we should just stop putting that on the table as <laughs> as a valid objection. Like yeah. it's a bunch of people. Um. That was very instrumental for me, especially at that stage where I was right then, not just physically where I was, but inside where I was. Yeah. That was so important. 
and it was kind of it's it feels like a continuation like i just didn't learn my lesson when i wound up in arkansas because it was the same thing happening again it's the same story over the same story all over again um you show up somewhere wandering aimlessly yeah and some uh you know unknown just pulls you in just like they've known you yeah you know um yeah it's it's obvious that you know uh, it's obvious that you were supposed to be there at that time you know um and meet these good people that you'll probably be friends with for the rest of your life you know like how many people i guess have the gumption to be like you know what i'm gonna buy a one-way ticket to somewhere I've never been in my life on the other side of the world. I, I don't call it gumption, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't think it was gumption. I just, uh, <laughs> I had a goal of using the word gumption at least once in this. Really? Podcast. You've been yeah. thinking about that this whole time. Yeah, I'm not, sneak it in. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the words. You just have to pick them out as we go. Um, oh, you have like a list. I do. The different I words? do. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, man, for, for you to just uh, be bold enough to pick up and do that. And then once again, you know, the same as your previous story of leaving your hometown, you know, it's the same story, you know, it's like, uh, finding out where, uh, God exists in people's hearts and them sharing that same love with you, you know, like that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, I think, you know, I, I do know that the Christian faith gets a bad rap from some angles. It, it always has, right. It has yeah. since it, yeah. since it, be, was a thing, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I, I, I do think, um, the churches that get it right are the ones that the main focus is, is, is grace. It's, mm-hmm. it's faith in God and it's grace and forgiveness in people. And, uh, once again, knowing that all of us are flawed, we all have something from the past or something inside that we, that we maybe don't want to talk about that ails us. And it always will, you know, we're, we're all kind of broken somewhere, you know, no matter what that is, everybody has something. No one's perfect. And so I think it's realizing that like, Hey, this person sitting next to me is, they have something they're dealing with. Um, but it's just being able to forgive and, and love unconditionally. I think that's, you know, the, the whole, the whole part of the Bible that stands out to me is that, you know, love unconditionally because we're all dealing with something. Um, but we're all in it together, you know, and it should feel like that. I wish it felt that way. Like, you know, all the way across our nation, all the way across the world. Like, yeah. man, we're all on this spinning ball of lava together. <laughs> you know, we're all yeah. in it. Yep. Uh, whether, you know, somebody on the, the other side of the aisle, whichever aisle we're <laughs> talking about, you know, that, that you have something that you feel passionate about and you have someone that opposes that at the end of the day, you're both people, passionate about something mm-hmm. um you know and, and you don't have to you don't have to be mean to each other at the end of the day you can you can disagree and and hug it out you know and uh yeah. welcome them into your home to talk about it at your dinner table you know like yeah um because it sounds like that's that was your experience um just wish it could all look like that you know yeah man. but it's kind of been that way uh forever because we are imperfect you know um, yeah most of us are i mean i'm i think i've i've past perfection at this point i've you know i mean you're I've moved you're on damn close so, you know you're really close i mean you've seen my handstands right like <laughs> i don't know if i can honestly <laughs> say i've seen your handstands we're gonna get away from that then and not talk about that and we're actually gonna there there are questions that i wanted to like okay things that I, obviously when you just start talking and you're hanging out especially if you're already friends like this is you know it goes yeah. all over and that's fine, but I'm very much like I want to figure out 
the do action for this, how, how I can help people to understand the impactfulness of their own life and share that. Yeah. So I've already, I mean, you've already shared so much about your life that I didn't know. Yeah. Um, this is also meant to be a show where like the things that a lot of people either don't want to talk about or just don't talk about because it's really hard or scary. This is a place where we can do that. It sounds terrible. Uh, yeah, I know. Right. And also all the times when I like, this is my selfish reason for having this podcast, which is I all the time will be interacting with people and think I should ask that question. We're really? like, I should say this thing. And something holds me back. That's a, a fear of judgment or anxiety around like what they'll think of the question or maybe they don't want to answer the question. And part of this podcast is me pushing back on that idea and trying to see how far I can go with it. So in America, at least, which is the only culture I've lived in, I think we've gone way too far in the wrong direction as far as... Uh, the the boundaries we put up all the time so we have turned for example the words how are you into just hi that's right. all it means right most of the time um we have walls up for protection but i think we've gone too far with them so i i want to know how much can we how much can we interact with people in a genuine way who we don't even know who maybe we're just interacting with in the grocery store or in a coffee shop, or whatever it may be. Like it doesn't matter. Why is it? Why is that? The person is still the same person they would be if they were in your living room sharing coffee. So, what is it really that keeps us from having genuine interaction? Because um, I try to practice it really hard, whether I'm at the gas pump or whatever else. Like interact, just like you would in any other situation. I'm getting better at it uh, through intention. Um, one person who's inspired me very much is Tuck. Mm, um, I could see that. Yeah, Tuck Johnston, who I would love to have on here. Because um, he'll be in like Walmart in the same aisle with somebody and talk to him in a funny, genuine way. Yeah. Just because they're looking at the same type of mustard that he is. <laughs> like, <laughs> and in, And he does it in such a way that I've, when I've witnessed this, it's like I can see physically on this person's face the veil fall away and they'd be like, they realize, oh. He's a person too. He's a person and I'm a person and I don't have anything to be afraid of. I can just behave normally. I like see that drop away from people and it's amazing. Right. And it's inspiring to me personally. My mom is really good at this too. My mom, who as a child, I probably thought it was so annoying that like, you can't go through the grocery store without stopping to have a conversation with somebody who she happens to know or a person who she doesn't know. It is just, you know, what do you think of this lettuce? Like, right. You know, um, now I, I love that. That's part of her personality. She's so good at that. Um, so I want to push back against this idea yeah. that we have to build walls around ourselves all the time. I don't think we should constantly walk around and be like, here's all of my childhood trauma for you. You know, like that's not the goal, but I want to know how far in that direction should we go before we are gone too far and we're just at the other end of the pendulum because we're at one of the extremes right now, I think, for for most of us. Um, 
It feels like, it feels like, um, and I kind of like you said, I don't know if it's this way in other cultures. I, I'm sure it's not this way in all cultures, but it, it seems like in America, there's like a perception that you want other people to have about you. Um, and a lot of times it's just based on your appearance, mm-hmm. how, how you dress, what you drive, how you carry yourself. Um, and, and I really feel like that's a, just a very common thing in our culture. And I think that's why I think that's a part of it anyway, that, that people have those barriers. And if, if they don't know you, they don't want to let you in mm-hmm. to, Hey, I'm not, I'm not this handbag, you know, I'm not this pair of shoes. Like there's, yeah. there's more to me, but it seems like people, people guard that people guard that a lot. That's they a really, really good do. point. Yeah. Cause if they don't interact, if they don't say anything, then they are just the handbag or the Ford Raptor or whatever it is. Right, exactly. You see them and you immediately build this perception of who they are mm-hmm. and they get to control that. Right. But as soon as we surrender that idea and we start opening up to people, we we become vulnerable and we lose that control. Yeah. The handbag was actually bought at a swap meet in Korea yeah. and the the Raptor, they're three months behind on the payments. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Like, I mean, I, I work at a bank. Like I get, to, <laughs> I see some of these things for sure. Yeah. yeah for sure. Um, and, and yeah, so, so I want to, I want to get into this idea. That's yeah. kind of, that's one of the, 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 that's part of my heart behind doing this is because I want to spur this conversation on. I want to be on the forefront of the people who are pushing this idea. And I know I'm not alone in it. Um, the more I've tested this in public, the more I've realized I have not yet found that boundary. I haven't found people to be unresponsive to these things. Yeah. Generally, people are like ready to roll. As soon as I open up that interaction or I ask questions, people are ready to respond. I think most of us are starving for it. Yeah. I think most of us don't get enough genuine interaction anyways. We don't have these conversations I don't think we need to have them every day, but if you haven't had one in three months or five months or 10 months, the last time you broke down in front of somebody was two years ago. Mm. Man, you inside are just like a brittle. Caved up. Just, man, you are ready to topple, Yeah, I think. So I think we need to like figure out how to better incorporate this vulnerability into everyday life. And so this podcast is me talking to everyday average Joes and Jills, whatever you want to say, and like having these conversations and normalizing it. Um, so there are things that I do want to talk about. Okay. Um, Let's do it. We'll, do you think we'll try like, out. Do you think like, well, obviously, I think it'd be factual that, um, you know, to today's age, not to, not to pull pandemic in your podcast. No, it's yeah, um, this but, is where but I mean, like, like right now, you know, so many people are isolated. When you go in a store, you can't be within so many feet of someone. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a mask. I can't tell if you're smiling or frowning. Um, so, man, I feel like everything that you just talked about right now is so much more difficult. Mm-hmm. It's so much more difficult. Like, some people don't want you approaching them at all. We've added another know? fear to the mix. A lot of fear. Yeah. Um, people just want to go in and grab their loaf of bread and get the help get the hell back home as quick as they can yeah you know without being close to someone so yeah it, mm-hmm. it is hard man it is hard i always try to smile enough that you can see it in my cheeks or something yeah. you know <laughs> like like extra smile yeah but, 
man, it is, uh, it is really difficult for people. People are, people are really, um, shut off, you know, just, just melding with their own households as much as they possibly can. Yeah. You know, so. And for a lot of us, it's really hard for me. That's really hard. Like, man, yeah. having multiple months of not being able to go into coffee shops, like for me personally, which sounds like such a millennial thing, <laughs> but for me personally, like that's what I did, man. I, right. when I lived in Siloam and spent three or five days a week driving to Fayetteville and still like hanging out in Onyx and talking to strangers. Right. I, that was like a pastime of mine. Sitting down, and if I went into Onyx, and you know the Fayetteville Onyx is pretty small, it is. You yeah. often have to sit by somebody. And if I went in, there were no seats, not next to people that were open. I'm like, yes, I, they can't not talk to oh me. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that oh was me, gosh. and it was always great. I mean, never had that I can recall an experience doing that that was like, wow, that person was, man, that was unpleasant. That was just never the case. Yeah. Um, but man, for me to be able to now go into shops and again, sit down by people to be able to have like a table where there's maybe a spot open, but there's already people there and say, Hey, do you mind? And they're like, no, not at all. And for me to sit down there and, and chat and do, do, or just do my thing. That's so life giving to me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's yeah. so, it's so cool that you have that because you have to, you have to realize that that would scare some people to death. Like that would give some people so much anxiety to have to sit with a table full of people that they don't know. Yeah. But then again, I get anxiety having to choose between like using a fork or a spoon to eat my chili. So, uh, you know, I just different, different anxieties. If if you eat chili (laughs) with a fork, like I, I'm going to think so much different about you. No, I I do eat with a spoon, but I I do remember Okay, this will make more sense. In the north, I think it's a northern thing because there are other northerners who do this. We will eat chili over noodles. Yeah. And so depending on the type of noodles you're using, it's it's almost impossible to do it with a spoon unless you have a pretty big spoon. Well, I got to know if Missouri is the only place where you like have to have peanut butter sandwiches with your chili. Somebody else has mentioned <laughs> Nathan has probably mentioned this. Probably Nathan, Nathan Burford, who is also from Missouri. Yeah. Um you know, like I remember doing like a, a church thing and, and, uh, or like a community group thing and we were having chili and we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll bring the peanut butter sandwiches. Everybody looked at us like we were maniacs. Like what the hell does that have to do with chili? It's like, <laughs> what? I don't understand. Like, I don't even understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a thing, but yeah. anyway, sorry. We're, we're going to get into this. I, can get, I, I did just look at the time. like, one, I don't mind, but I wonder if, you know, our, our large crowd of listeners, I don't know. We may only have like 400,000 at this I point. Mean, Joe Rogan's three hours plus. Yeah, every, every I know. Like four well, days that's a week. His, his format. And then I this is to this. his format. We're yeah. just chilling. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> let's, let's get into this though. Here, yeah. I what did, you got, I, man? I'm Shoot. keeping notes on things and writing down some questions that will, I might be going to bed and I'm like, Oh, that's a good thing for people to think about. And I'll, I have to get up and write it down. So these are some questions I've thought about. Okay. Brandy helped me work through these a little bit. Oh, too. now I'm scared. <laughs> Um, what's something that's hopeful to you? Um, just like in general, I guess, or like maybe something specific. What is something that stuck with you that was hopeful? 
Oh man, oh, that's tough. Like, I, I will say that I, which I think we just had this conversation um, about other people, but not about me, is I um, really care what other people think about me. Like, it is such an important thing mm-hmm. for me. Um, and I do think it takes me a while to just like let those walls down. Um, I don't know what everyone else does with, with that, but it probably takes me a little bit longer than it takes most people. Um, so th- this is like a big deal, right? <laughs> you know, oh, just great. some of the stuff we've already talked about. I've probably never told anybody that I've known in the last eight years, you know? Wow. Um, but if someone, and, and it could be someone that I like don't even really know that well if i find out that like someone doesn't like me like dude it destroys me it really does it's like are there people who don't like you Colby? there have been <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't know what i do i think i'm a i think i'm a fairly likable yeah, guy, i think but, you're a very likable person and yeah. so like if i find out if they're like man this person just just really doesn't care for you like man it will eat me alive like mm. i will think about it like it'll just enter my thoughts like Two weeks later, you know, I'm driving down the road. It's like, man, what what could I do to make that person like me? Like, it will make me a crazy person. Yeah. And it could be someone that I don't even know. But I, I just want everyone to have a favorable opinion <laughs> of me. I, I don't know. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why it's so deeply ingrained. It's not something that, you know, it's not something that I do on purpose by any means. It's just something that's just buried buried in there and i'm sure there's a cause i'm I'm sure there's something that that drives that you know Mm -hmm. um i'd I'd probably hate to dig deep enough to put a finger on what that could be eventually the goal of this podcast (laughs) will be to dig deep enough into these things probably i probably have some ideas um, yeah but uh but you know yeah i don't i don't know what that is but i if i find someone someone that doesn't have a favorable opinion of me it it crushes me and and Mm. then again like i try to be you know genuinely me like i don't want to be i don't want to put on a facade Mm -hmm. Um, i think there's certain scenarios where you just kind of have to you know like in, in a sense you know like some business meeting or something like that, you know, I'm going to be spitting out sunflower seeds and, you know, wearing basketball shorts and flip flops, you know, I think Uh that you do have to carry yourself a certain way in certain predicaments, but naturally, you know, on the, on the day to day, you know, I I just, just like to be me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think most people respect that. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that, that is kind of something that, that will really eat at me. It really eat at me. Okay. Yeah. Part, Part of the goal with some of these questions is just to like, let the audience know yeah because even if um even if it's not a million people listening that one person listening maybe interacts with a million people yeah and now this is something else for them to think about it's oh when i just act like i don't like people or if i don't like people but i don't know why and i just don't have a good reason for it Maybe that's causing people a lot of pain. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Some of these questions I, I want to, it's serving that dual purpose. Thing. And you know, there are people out there, <laughs> that we, we all know one, uh, that just this just kind of don't like a lot of people. Like, yeah. dude, people like me? Here's walking around, cr- like ants under a microscope, man. You're just yeah. walking around crushing us. 
Oh man, <laughs> there are people out there. They just don't like a lot of people. Yeah, like, there are. There are. Uh, uh, if there were, if there were going to be quotes, like to introduce the episodes that right there, <laughs> like the the introduction, yeah. you just hear that snippet, yeah. yeah, and then it goes into the episode, right? That'd yeah, be a good one. I mean, <laughs> man, I got somebody in my family that I love dearly. I think they like three people. You know, <laughs> oh, man. We, we're not going to get into that with no. my family right now. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not dragging them into it. But, no. but I have uh, a large family, so I can be very vague. Yeah, you know, and then uh, can be any of them. Like like a, a singular event um, that's just just devastating it was the death of my father. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like you know, me lose aunts and uncles, and that sucks, and it really hurts. But like losing a parent, man, that's especially like no one wants to see anyone suffer. Mm-hmm. But man, if you don't know it's coming, and it's like something that just happens like that, it, you, you don't have time to like prepare for it. You know, I can, it's a super double-edged sword. Like, you know, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to make a choice if I could make a choice, but you know, I was like 25 and I talked to my dad two days before that. And it's just like all fine and dandy. We were both barbecuing at the same time and <laughs> just talked on the phone for like two hours, you know? Um, and then, uh, you know, two days later he's mowing the yard and died of a heart attack, yeah. you know? So he was 61. I wouldn't say he was a specimen of health by any means. Uh, probably could have, you know, saw him and been like, yeah, that guy's got that heart attack. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say like single most devastating, like time or just something to go through. I mean, that, that had me messed up. That had me pretty messed up, man. I didn't, I didn't get out of bed for probably like seven or eight days at all. Like, you know, just my boss was like, come back when you can come back. Um, and man, I, I pretty much just laid in bed and cried for seven or eight days. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so that's a that's hard stuff, man. It really is. Like you know, and, and just to be like not young, but you know, like my mom's in her seventies now, so you know, mm-hmm. just more of a natural course. But yeah, when people are taken from you too soon, man, that's that, and that kind of doesn't go away. Like I don't think you I think you deal with it, but I don't think like you get over it. You know, I think it's always there. Yeah, yeah. I I I think getting over it is. To me, it, it seems like a pretty Western way of looking at it. I, I think we're yeah. really bad at grief and sadness. We we have bad emotions and good emotions, right? They're not they're not just emotions that tell you things, right? But they're they are they're they're there. They're real. Yeah. Um, for so many of us, it's like the idea of comforting somebody is, I'm gonna figure out a way to get them past the thing they're in, not yeah. be with them in it. And I think that can cause a lot of damage and it causes like, uh, it's almost like we, we encourage this, this scaling over of our hearts, like just move past it. Don't think about it. Don't exist in it and let it run its course naturally. And don't, don't acknowledge its validity. Just get over it. It'll be over soon. And, and the goal is not to experience it and understand it. It's to just not be in it. Yeah. Um, if it's too hot, I turn the air conditioning on. If it's too cold, I turn the heat on. Like, uh, we're, con- we're control freaks. Yeah. Well, I mean, that for me is a, a minor like form of meditation for me. As someone who drives an old vehicle that doesn't really have <laughs> heat, or it doesn't have a, it has heat. Thank God. It doesn't really have AC. When I drive this thing, or the same thing with my previous two cars really if it's really hot outside i'm really hot yeah 
And yeah. then I started trying to practice just sitting in and be like, okay, Joel, you're just hot right now. Sometimes you're hot. Sometimes you're cold. It's just what it is. What are you going to do? Yeah. And it was just this kind of grounding thing that could take me back into the reality of, of not being in control of the universe. And if I was, I mean, things, things would not be what they are. Um, but just the reminder of my lack of control, I think, is really helpful. But back to the, the grief thing, yeah, I, I think, man, we're just bad at it. Yeah. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to sit with people. We don't know what to do. We like because we think we have to do something. We have to do something. We say something. We have to fix something. It's probably, maybe especially as men. I don't know if that's just a stupid stereotype or if it is an actual. There's shoot. definitely something to that. There's something there. Yeah. yeah. But um, I also think our funeral traditions are just kind of just kind of awful in, in the United I've States. I've never been to a funeral. Really? Yeah. Man, consider yourself lucky. The only people in my family who have died were grandparents who yeah. really, my, my, both of my mom's parents died. My mom's dad died before I was born, I believe. And my mom's mom died when I was like two. And then my dad's parents lived in Florida my whole life. And... I think his dad died first. He was a World War II vet. And um, he died, I was probably like 10, but I had seen him a few times in my life maybe. And then my grandma, my dad's mom passed away uh, several years after that. And it was just like, I never really knew them. It wasn't this big, huge thing that happened. I knew that... I should be sad, or I thought I should be sad. There was some expectation. I have to meet the expectation. And, but I, I just didn't feel much of anything. It was just, oh, somebody died. I, I didn't really know them. My dad's really sad. Wow. I, I saw his grief a little bit. I have a vivid memory of my mom and dad hugging as he, like, he, I don't know if he had got off the phone or if he just got a letter or something, but his mom had passed. And I remember seeing that yeah, and the grief that he was experiencing. But I personally haven't, haven't had anybody close to me die. Yeah. And I honestly have no idea how I'd handle it. Hopefully better than I did. <laughs> but I mean, it's um, hard, man. Cause I think that there's just so much just, um, I don't know, so many like a combination of emotions that you're just kind of, you're kind of back and forth, you know, because you're mm. one second you're telling stories of, you know, funny stories about something wacky this person did and everyone's laughing and, you know, sharing that moment. And then 10 minutes later, you're just on the ground, bawling your eyes out, you know. So it's like such a roller coaster of emotions. And gosh, is does, I mean, is anyone good at dealing with that? Yeah. I don't know. Some better than others, I'm sure, but I don't know. So that was, that was, uh, painful experience yeah did, did you did that emotion of hurt manifest itself in anything else was there anger or you how know, did that affect your relationship with god maybe i'll ask as well you can maybe answer to that to be really honest with you um man think, thinking of this in my head it sounds it's gonna sound weird but like it kind of made me get my life in order a little bit more 
Um, I think I already said when I was 25, I was, I was just, a, I was just still a kid. I was just super immature, you know, I hadn't really grown up. And I think it, I think it made me grow up. Um, and there was like this certain thing that, man, especially like right after it happened, I just like would have these super vivid dreams of my dad, like talking to me and, and things like that. And it was, I would wake up, you know, just set up in bed, like, you know, it was almost like I, I got a chance to talk to my dad, you know, and I would like set up and be like, oh, my God, that was so real. You know, for a person that um, doesn't sleep well, and doesn't dream much, they would be like so vivid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just I just always kind of felt like uh, especially there early on that, like my dad was still around somehow. Um, and I felt like I wanted to make him proud. Um, so it was like I was I just really started making decisions differently after that. Um, it made me kind of self reflect, you know, I got a kid too. And like, what should I be doing as a dad? I'm I'm still acting like a kid and I'm a dad, you know, start acting like a dad, you know? And so I really do think that it, it, it affected me in that way more than anything, you know? Um, and like, um, you know, it, it affected me musically as well. And, and, you know, music is a big part of my life. And, uh, you know, I would, uh, you know, play in a, play in a band, but not, not, you know, I, I, I'm pretty good at what I do. And I think there's a lot of places I could go and just kind of wing it, you know, depending on the setting, obviously not at the church, no winging it there, man. Uh, no, I gotta be on point. (laughs) Gotta be on point. Um, but you know, I think just, um, being able to, you know, go, go in and wing it kind of got spoiled, um, and so I would, I would be like, man, my, my dad spent all these hours on me wanting me to be a musician like he was. And I just, you know, I really have taken that for granted, um, and made it like maybe even for a, a different purpose than, um, just, just the love of music, you know, making it something else, whether, whether it's a paycheck or an excuse to go out and party, you know, somewhere it's like, um, you know, kind of lost focus on that, I think. And, and it was like, man, you know, my, I remember that we, the, the guys I was playing with, we had like a pretty big gig that was booked like that weekend. Um, and I think it was, I think it was like my dad, he died on a Monday. I want to say the gig was the next weekend, but the he had a funeral in two different towns because he had retired and moved. And I think it was like a funeral Wednesday, Thursday or something like that. And then we had a gig like that Saturday and the guys being like, man, we're going to cancel that. I'm like, no way. Like my dad would be pissed off if he, he had me like canceling the gig over this. Like I got to do it. And dude, that was, that was, you want to talk about a ball of freaking emotions, man. Mm. Just toughen that out. Um, and just like collapsing afterwards almost just because I was, exhausted uh, probably went a week without you know sleeping much and things like yeah. that I was, I was truly just mentally exhausted but like man honestly in a weird way i think it i think it made me grow up a lot stop taking things for granted you know because i took our time for granted you know mm-hmm. uh, which i think a lot of people would probably say that after somebody is no longer with them you know yeah. they'd be like man i wish i'd have done more you know stuff like that but i, I think it really was a big wake-up call on just what I was doing with my life. I think it changed me a lot in good ways, honestly. Wow. Yeah. Dude, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely, man. 
It's on the other Easy to it. talk about. Uh, yeah, Easy to talk about. That's what this is about. This this podcast is just, you know, let's let's keep things light and airy and meaningless. Yeah. Nothing powerful or Yeah, I know like uh, for you guys that can't see, like Joel has a beautiful setup here. This nice wooden table. Um, but I think he's gonna need to add a box of Kleenexes to his podcast <laughs> table. He's gonna start digging like this. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I probably will. <laughs> um that the the other side of it then, let's say um what what's something that's at a profound level, if you can think of it, been really joy inspiring to you, or is consistently really joy inspiring to you. Man, man, I can think of a lot of small moments that add up. Um, hmm, it's kind of hard. That's a hard one. One of the things that Brandy adjusted for me when I ran over these questions with her, she said, they were, what's the thing that's hurt you the most? And then what is the thing that's brought you the most joy? And she's like, that puts people on the spot. And it, it kind of, she she told, she articulated really well why that wasn't really probably the best way to phrase that question. What, what does it tell you about yourself if someone says, like, what's the most painful moment and you just have a list like running in your head and someone says, what, what brings you the most joy? And you're like, ah, oh, man, that's hard. <laughs> like, um, I'll tell you what, man, just, uh, like anytime a fellowship with friends, man, mm. is, is a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, like, I don't know, just hanging out with buds, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, just kind of just start being goofy and forgetting about everything, you know? Forgetting about what you got to do Monday at work, um, you know, just just stuff like that. Forget forget about you know grandma's doctor appointment. You know, you just um, seems like a and it seems like it's not you know it's everyone involved. It's kind of at that same level. Um, man, just I think I think like good fellowship just pretty much brings me joy uh, ten times out of ten. Man, like yeah. when when you just you're just there. Just present. Just in the moment. Yeah. You know, having a couple of beers, a couple of laughs, maybe sitting around a fire. Like, man, mm-hmm. it's, those, it's like those things that you definitely have to just cherish, you know, live in the moment. And I have a, you know, I have a good habit. I'm, I'm a really good loner. I know, I know people are not always wired that way, mm-hmm. but I really like being alone. And it's easy for me if I'm not doing a damn thing for someone to say, Hey man, we're going to like hang out at my house. You should come over. Um, and sometimes I'll like just not do it just to be alone. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any damn sense because like (laughs) I love being around people, but like, I don't, I don't know what that is. It's kind of selfish. You know, if if you really think about it, it's like, I'm not going to give you my time because it's all my time, you know? Well, we could call it selfish, and then we could talk about is selfish a negative thing, or is that a, is it necessary or a positive thing? Sometimes, yeah, I'm sure it's a. I'm sure it could go either way, but yeah, yeah. So it, it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of odd to, for me to say like my favorite thing is fellowship, and then to be like, man, I really love being alone. <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. what, though, when you when you get married and have kids, you know, 
Uh, and I'm sure my wife feels the same way. Sometimes you just got like the house to yourself for a day. <laughs> and man, this is, this is kind of great. You know, the more rare things are, the more valuable. They I guess yeah. so. I guess yeah. so. But then like my wife for work, had to go for like out of state for a very extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I can't, can't wait till my wife's home. You know? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So fellowship definitely brings me joy. Also, uh, live music is like one of my favorite things in the world. Man, I, Maybe I just haven't had the right experiences with it. Oh, even the bad live music's great. I'm not a live music person. Really? Yeah. It's so weird because I love music and I love being with people. So you would think those two would go together perfectly. You would kind of think so. But I want them separately, really. Interesting. If I'm listening to music, I want to like sit out there in front of my speakers and just get studio, beautiful, crystal clear sound and just enjoy the music and like yeah. let tears roll down my face because that's how i listen to music <laughs> and, but if i'm with people i want to be with those people i'm experiencing them i'm talking and fellowshipping yeah. very intentionally I most def- of the time i definitely get to those moments where it's like hey let's all go over here but it's people that you don't get to hang out with a lot and you're mm-hmm. like i don't want to go there because we can't talk to each other yeah so i definitely get that but yeah, yeah man if it's like a Friday or Saturday and I know that I want to get out of my house but I don't know what I want to do I just like Google what bands are playing in town and I will just be like okay they look okay, okay. Um, I'm just gonna go there oh. so I will just like randomly go to go see live music whenever like whenever I get an opportunity and it, and it really sucked like a few months without any bands anywhere yeah. I was about to go crazy I was watching all the like online concerts people were doing you know, people would yeah. still be at George's, uh, you know, Fossil Cove was really good about having some concerts there. Um, and I was watching all these internet concerts, but uh-huh. yeah, it's great that like George's and places are starting to like have bands again. So I've been the, the chicken plant George's. No, <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> those guys walking around with like big rubber gloves and hard hats. And then there's just a band on a stage. Yeah. I mean, I would, play there you know <laughs> okay let's let's move on now okay because i'm devolving this conversation um i like this one this has been something that's been really big in my life of late uh do you find change difficult and why if if the answer is yes to that i guess I know it's a complex question. Yeah, it is because I think there's a, a lot of tiers to when it, you know, where's the change happening in your life, whether it's personal mm-hmm. work, um, you know, because w- w- there's going to be negative changes and positive changes, you know? So, um, man, I'll tell you, I think I, I think I do deal with change pretty well. Um, depends, depends on the change though. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm such a creature of habit mm-hmm. in a sense. Like if like every restaurant that I go to, I order the same thing. Yeah. No matter what. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I am a creature of habit, but I think like I work in a super fluid environment. Um, there's a lot of like federal mandates and we know those just change constantly. Um, uh-huh. you know, uh, our country's lucky enough to have a new president every four years. 
Um, but it seems to teeter back and forth, you know, it'll go one side of the aisle and people get sick of that. And then it goes the other side of the aisle. And if you look at it historically, it alternates quite a bit. Um, and it, and it seems like, you know, uh, what I deal with for work, a lot of those things, uh, are highly governed and it'll go, you know, one complete end of the spectrum and back. So I, I see, and, and I'm, I'm actually in, in a leadership position, uh, in, in my, in my job. And, um, I definitely am aware of the people that cannot deal with change to any degree. Mm-hmm. Um, it freaks them out. Um, it, it makes it makes them withdraw, um, maybe even somewhat like resentful that they've been doing this one thing or, or had this one thing that, that's now completely opposite. Um, so in seeing people that have a very difficult time dealing with changing the type of pen that you're writing with, you know, um, in, in comparison to that, I think I deal with change pretty well. And, um, you know, in developing a leadership role, it's kind of what you, um, it's kind of one of the things that, that you like learn that you take courses on that you're coached on is coaching other people through change. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, um, you know, I've had, had huge changes that, you know, would have a team that had three people on it. They were just, not only were they bitter, but spreading toxicity to people that weren't, you know, trying to get them on, on their team almost in a sense and, and having to deal with that. Um, so I think, I I don't know if I always have been, but I think like now I'm pretty flexible. I, I think I understand that, that nothing's ever going to remain the same. Um, I'll tell you like packing, even though I like, I love Fayetteville and like, um, could see myself, you know, living here forever in a sense. Uh, don't know if that'll be the case, but like, um, you know, leaving where I lived my entire life and moving here was such a hard change for me. It was, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't regret it. It was just really, really hard. So like something of that magnitude, it was was very hard for me, but I think now that I've went through that, I think if I go through that again, it'll be very very different. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There's a I can't remember what the second part of that is. Oh, it's a two parter. It's an A B. I think so. Uh, well, the other part of it that I wrote here, anyways, would you like to be more comfortable with it? I guess I guess we can talk a little bit about that. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think it'd be nice. I mean, it'd be just be nice to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't care what changes with that. Like, I don't, cause like, I mean, you can have some, you can have some pretty rough changes too. I mean, like, um, you know, there's probably a lot of people right now, uh, you know, that, uh, aren't going to work every day, Yeah, you know, and it's not, not something they did. It's not something they deserve. It's not something they can control. Um, so, you know, talking, talking on change at that level, like how do you deal with that affecting who you are as a person? Cause you would think it naturally would. Um, you know, I think, I think for the most part, I'm a pretty happy person. If I didn't have a job next week, I probably wouldn't feel that way. Um, but so, yeah, man, I would, I would say like, I think there are some people that are completely lackadaisical and are just like, (laughs) Oh, just, just free souls and could give two dams less where their next paycheck comes from or if they get one. Um, and so like, I think, yeah, I'd love to be like that where I just really don't, I mean, I, I don't, doesn't, don't give a crap doesn't sound right, but just, you know, being able to go with the flow and, um, you know, things that impact you that you have no control over, um, 
you know, the, the fact that you let it impact you pretty hard when you can't control it doesn't make a ton of sense at the end of the day, you know, but it's, it, but it's who we are, you know, mm-hmm. it's human nature. Um, but I think some people can, uh, let it roll off and move on to the next, uh, portion of life, you know, and some people can let it take uh, the wind completely out of their sails and it's devastating. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I'd, I'd love for everyone to not have to deal with change and, and it'd be a devastating, painful thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Wish, wish we could all be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I've also, I've got much better with it. Yeah. Um, through being in a number of situations when I willingly and deliberately walked into situations where I had no control, um, in part, in an effort to, you had a cannibal try to eat you in Australia though. That's, I don't, I don't don't know that he had already eaten somebody (laughs) through, I deliberate, I forced myself to learn how to be more comfortable with change because of my faith background and what the book apparently says about these things i'm supposed to not be afraid of anything right and trust that there is a being who understands everything is in control and loves me so i thought well so what if i just stop controlling anything and yeah you've read job right yeah, it's <laughs> one of my favorite actually books in the yeah, Bible. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have dealt with that change very well at all. No, neither would I. Neither would anyone else. No, no. I think he dealt with it well enough. I would agree in the way that we all would, and and you know he 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 was uh, congratulated on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and his friends were torn apart, not physically, in that story. That anyway. would have been messy. Yeah. No. I mean, it wouldn't be too far-fetched for the Bible, but, right. you know, it's not what happened in that, that narrative. Anyway. I like how we went from dealing with change to Job. Man, if it gets on the Bible, too, I'm going to make jokes. I'm just going to do it. Because that's a weird book, man. It's a weird book. And I'm not just talking about Job. I'm talking about the Bible. And I think most of us... going on there. Especially as Americans, we're, we have taken the veggie tales effect and just applied it to the whole book and shout out larry wanna, cucumber yeah we want to ignore everything about it that's like wait a minute so jesus is descended from that guy whose daughters made him get drunk in a cave and slept with him that happened like right we want to ignore all of that which is all over the place I think so. I make fun of if I'm going to talk about the Bible, like I'm going to make jokes. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's kind of interesting sometimes. Where uh, you know, probably a, a word that's thrown around by people that, that aren't really churchgoers about churchgoers is like hypocritical. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but man, if you really if you really look at the, you know, um, I like to I like to have a drink. Um, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, this iced tea uh, right now is yeah, very the iced tea that we just drank uh, yeah. is really good. Hit the spot. Um, but you know, and, and people people will point a finger and say that's that's hypocritical. Um, but man, if you look at the the biggest characters of the Bible, they were very broken people with very big issues. Um, I mean, we're talking multiple people that were murderers, um, and you know, there's no hierarchy of sin. But I really feel like if there was, killing someone would probably be pretty close to the top of that. 
Um, so for God to take these people that were broken, not the best people out there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's, that's the one that I want. That's the one that I want to change their heart and make them do good. That will affect people for generations that 2000 years later, we're still talking about what they did, man. That's huge. Mm-hmm. So I think for someone like, uh, you know, me, someone like me to be like, man, I'm, you know, I'm probably not the best person out there. There are probably people that are more kind than me, people that have their life, uh, you know, in a better place than I do. Why would God use me to do something, you know, incredible to help other people? Man, he's done it time and time again, you know, with people that are way more screwed up than I am. Yeah. And know? there's a million of them listening to you right now, too. I, mean, I you, know. You have quite, quite the know. impactful voice. So if you're out there and <laughs> if you're out there in the webs listening to this, you know, if you're ever questioning the impact you can have on other people, um, don't don't ever think you're not worthy um, because you're more than worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I like that. Uh, let's see here. I feel like that's one that I wanted to end on. Not not that this one I'm looking at here. Um, I don't know. We 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 probably approaching kind of an end point here. Let's talk okay. a little bit about for your own sake. This is how I wrote this. For your own sake, what's something about you that you wish everybody understood? Holy moly! That's totally, that's totally a brandy question. <laughs> um, that everyone understood. Um, I am, <laughs> I am not serious very often. At all, but I, I have not picked this up. For some reason, people read me like that, especially when I am just being sarcastic. Uh, so maybe that, that that gets a that's a common misconception. I'll, I'll say something being completely facetious, and someone will be like, "Oh my god, are you serious?" I'm like, "Hell no, I'm not serious." Like when when have I ever been serious? So I would, I would say that if, if I ever like say something to you and you're like, Oh my God, did he just say that? I'm probably just completely joking. And in my head, it sounded really hilarious. Yeah. And in someone else's head, it's like, what is wrong with that person? Um, so I would say that is, that is, it's, it's actually really, really common for that to happen. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't know why, I don't know why anyone would take me seriously. Um, but but they actually do sometimes. And it's usually when I'm just being a jackass. Um, I'm, you know, I'm glad I was like kind of raised in the Midwest because if I was in the like raised in the North, I don't even think people would like me um, because you know, like uh, man, I was going to a barber for a little bit. He's from Manhattan, dude. He was like totally a New Yorker, like totally a New Yorker. He actually <laughs> he actually uh, he could have been like Kramer off Seinfeld. He could have been like yeah. his hot rod brother. Like he wore like a pompadour and it was kind of tatted out, but he dressed like Kramer. He like wore like the bowling shirts and like slacks. Um, but I kind of noticed like with, with like people from the Northeast, you know, here, if we're uh, kind of being sarcastic, there's a certain inflection that we kind of make in our voice to kind of let people know like, Hey, I'm joking. Hmm. Um, but I think people in the Northeast don't possess that. 
Um, where if they, you know, if I'm like, oh, your, your mom, <laughs> like, oh, your mother. And it's like, whoa, hey, man, easy, easy there, Mr. Barber, man. I'm a mom. She's a nice lady. She's a saint. Uh, but I think somehow I come across like that in senses where I'm trying to be sarcastic and it, it sounds serious. So, yeah. Huh. Um, man, people out there don't take me seriously. It, it's so interesting <laughs> to me because I, I was raised when I was raised in the Midwest, kind of further north than here, obviously, a little bit. Um, but I was raised with a lot of siblings, like, I'm one of six kids. Oh, wow, and didn't know that, yeah. And like, sarcasm was just how you spoke. <laughs> I bet if you weren't fast enough, you were the one being laughed at, so you had to develop wit. Yeah, and man, it, it there's no difference in the tone of my voice when I'm being totally serious and when I'm being just it's just bullshit. Yeah, there's no difference. You have to know. You have to be able to understand me, or just have a really good grasp on sarcasm. But I was informed by my boss at my first one-on-one that. Not everyone I work with has the same level of sarcasm that I do. And I should be careful about that. So I try to tone it down a little bit. Yeah. I try to give people physical cues, you know, a look or a kind of a nod. Like, you know, I know <laughs> that if I, if all you could hear was my voice, that would have sounded horrible. But I mean, like, come on, you can see me. I'm yeah. joking. It's yeah. fine. Um, and I think we're getting the hang of it. But I just, man, I, I know there are people out there who don't understand sarcasm. I know those people exist. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've met them. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking about like this island culture. Like there's just an island where there's people who never have been exposed to sarcasm. And, <laughs> and some of them left and are on the mainland and everything. Wait, what's that island that has like the protected people that we're not allowed to go to? And they always like shoot arrows. At, yeah. Is it Seminole Island? Maybe. There's, no, there's an island. Is that with, still that's still going on? It's still going on. Yeah, the people have uh, okay. no contact with. Hey, good for uh, them. They have zero contact with the rest of the I mean, world. assuming they're not cannibalizing themselves. But yeah, I don't think so. But no. well, I know I know we're getting close. I, I wanted to. I, I know we've kind of hit on uh, the Bible and stuff like this. But yeah. man, I had this lady uh, say something to me the other day. It was really impactful to me. And I have this thing, and I don't know if it's a calling from God or it's something that's in my heart or uh, something God placed in my heart. One of those. Um, but man, I have this thing where like, I'll drive by a homeless person, uh, and something just hits me to where I'm like, man, I've got to go back and talk to this person. It may not be a homeless person. It might be someone like panhandling or something like that. And I'm like, man, I want to go like pull over and go like talk to that person. Um, done that several times, several times. And it's weird, man. Cause it's like, it's not just like a thing in the back of my head. It's like something that will like claw at me. Mm-hmm. I will like drive by somebody. Um, and, and it's not everybody. But I'll drive by a person and, man, it's like I know that if I don't turn around and go back, like I'm not going to think about anything else at least for the rest of that day of, man, I should have. I was supposed to. Like there was a reason I was supposed to go talk to that person. Um, man, the other day I was I was at a stoplight and there was this, uh, there was this, this black woman that was, man, I, she was every bit of 80. She was well into her 80s. Uh, on the corner and she had like a five gallon bucket. Um, but it was money for her church. She was raising money for her church standing on the corner and it was freezing ass cold out there. Mm. Uh, there's nobody out there with her. 
Um, she's all bundled up. Um, so I pull over and, uh, I wasn't, she couldn't step off the curb. I mean, she was just not getting around well. Um, she's like, I'm sorry, you'll have to, you'll have to sit here for a second. It's going to take me a minute. And, uh, she's like, please don't pull off. And, uh, man, there were cars behind me and light was green. I'm like, I'm going to sit here until this lady comes over here and gets this money out of my hand. So she got it and she got back up there and, you know, God bless you. Have a good day. And I, you know, felt good about myself. So I leave. And this was way on the other side of town. The next day I'm like, she's right by my house. Like the stoplight I go through every single day. And so I pull over there and she's out here again. Now it's freezing cold. She was out there probably most of the day, the day before at some other stoplight. Here she is day two. It's still freezing cold. It was pretty early in the day. Here she is out here again with a bucket raising money for her church. Um, so I, I pulled over and it was a red light and I pulled over uh, next door and I rolled down my window and I just said, uh, I said, I don't know if you remember me. And she was like, yeah, you're the one that didn't pull close enough. I was like, yeah, that was me. And I was like, I was like, what are you doing out here again? I was like, aren't there like, don't you have like younger people in your church and things like that? And I said, I said, you might need to take a break one of these days. And she looked at me and she said, God works 24 hours a day. And dude, that has like, like I hear, I've just been hearing that ever since I heard it from this woman that was, you know, eighties, barely, barely walking, you know, like without, I think she did have a walker like sitting by her lawn chair. Um, but she's out there, it's, it's 30 degrees and she's out there at least two days in a row, you know, and her answer was you know, God works 24 hours a day. And she said, she turned around she's like, he ain't taking no time off. Neither am I. <laughs> and so I'm like, man, like, like in a way envious because God, I've never felt that drive, especially for that purpose. She's just, she's not doing it for her at all. Like nothing she was doing was for her, but to be like, I'm gonna be out there every day. But yeah, I thought that was huge. Yeah. You know, and the, the, like on, on that level, like the people that are impactful in your life, like that moment was hugely impactful. You know, and it was uh, just a random person I didn't know, you know, so yeah, just w- didn't want to get out of here without telling you that story. Cause yeah. it's, and she's listening. So now she knows how, <laughs> how impactful she was. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, man, that's been like just in the back of my head ever since it happened for a couple of weeks. I didn't want to, didn't want to escape your podcast without sharing that moment, man. Cause yeah. I thought it was, it was pretty awesome. Like, I think that lady's like my new idol, honestly. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I have one thing to share before we leave, too. I had a dream last night. You know those, like... you had a podcast? No. No. You you know those, uh... It looks like a chicken coop, kind of. But it's for, like, bunnies. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like a bunny coop. It was like it was on the side of the road or something. And I'm there and in front of it. And it's full of little bunnies and little puppies. And I start picking them up because, you know, it's what they are. And there's more of them. It's like every time I focus my attention back on there's more of these fluffy little bunnies and puppies. (laughs) And I just remember being so happy. (laughs) (laughs) This is totally real. This actually happened. That sounds amazing. It was. It was an amazing experience. (laughs) Uh A friend of mine has recently, shout out to Haley, if you listen to this, um, 
she their family recently got a, a little golden doodle puppy yeah um and he's so fluffy and just adorable and i really want a dog right now i never thought i would want a dog and i just i really want a dog yeah and i practically i just can't have one right now but i so i think about that a lot i see other people's dogs and i see Haley's little puppy and that was on my mind and i just in my dream i stumbled upon a Coop. That sounds amazing. Full of puppies and buddies. The two most fluffy, adorable things on the planet. If I ever win the lottery, which I don't even play the lottery, but you know, if I hypothetically win the lottery, I'm going to break into your house and just fill it full of bunny rabbits. (laughs) And it'll literally be a dream come true. It it will be when I wake up. From yeah. my dream about bunnies and bunnies. But I bet after a couple hours, you're going to be like, what the hell? It's like, what I, yeah, what 400 rabbits right now. Yeah. And I mean, the way rabbits reproduce, if you don't, you don't get those guys sure. separated. I mean, 400 rabbits in four hours means 2,000 rabbits, really. It does. Yeah. It does. So I'll have to turn on the podcast and be like, all right, listeners, today, free I'm giving away free seventh caller <laughs> rabbits. <laughs> oh. Well, that's a good note to end it on. I think so. I think we did it. I don't know how how I end this podcast, but... Brought to you by Laughter.